Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Guys, hey everyone, welcome back to another Mother May I Sleep With podcast mini episode. Today we are doing the college admission scandal, which you guys know is near and dear to my heart because I am biological sisters with Jody Sweeten, who was on a show with Lori Laughlin. Um, Max, my guest, Max Wyeth, he's here. He and I have done some pretty major movies on here in the past, and I'm just so excited. He's back during quarantine Max was the first person I knew to predict that the end times were coming. And so today we're here to celebrate that. Honey, we are. And to celebrate Golden Globe nominee Penelope Ann Miller. Oh, my God. She's giving everything in this movie. She is. And I'm a little upset that in the the description, they don't say Golden Globe nominee. A Kate, she was in that god-awful Sean Penn movie. Kato's way or Kato's way, I can't pronounce it, but she was Golden Globe nominated, and I feel like just because it was in '92, we should still honor that. I think we should as well. I mean, she was really formidable in this piece. I have to say, like the acting in this overall, I have like honestly, th- these are general discussions we're going to be having about the movie. Although I do want to hit some marks here, just because I pulled some clips. There sure. are some unbelievable moments in this movie just like acting scenes that really they turned it out in this movie for sure but overall just a general note i thought they did great with wardrobe i thought they did pretty good pretty good with hair and makeup bethany had some moments that left me scratching my head um both of the daughters seemed like they had been were in an early 2000s movie that were transported to 29 everyone else looked flawless but the daughters of um the financial analyst whose name I never could quite remember. Is it, was it, which one with, you know, the brunette, what was her, what were her, what was her name in the show? Uh, you mean Emma? Yes. With me, Mia Kushner. Yeah, 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 yeah. She and um her sister Taylor. I have to say that all the kids in this movie were very Degrassi for me. Yeah. Which is a safe space for me, for sure. But like, it did feel very dated. And also, Danny is, if you were a fan of The Next Generation, he is Craig. Like, he is absolutely Craig from Degrassi, minus, you know, so far the mental illness and like, uh, drug problem. Although his parents, I mean, okay, let me just introduce the two families because we have to talk about how his his parents talk about him. So the DeVere family is Caroline. That's Penelope Ann Miller. And then her husband is Jackson. And then they have a son named Danny who's like a dreamy, curly-haired guitar player, but not like TikTok hot, but more like um, a nod to like grunge culture hot. And yeah. then we have uh, Bethany Slade and her daughters, Emma and Taylor. 
Yeah, and I loved that they made Penelope Ann Miller's character an interior designer, which I feel we really don't get that in, you know, that career anymore in cinema, whether it be VOD, whatever, you know. Are you kidding me? Max, come over to Lifetime, honey. Every woman on, on these movies, in these movies, is an interior designer. Really? Oh, that's fascinating because I was trying to think, you know, other than, you know, this, the revival of Will and Grace seeing Deborah Messing's, you know, design career, I couldn't think of a of a recent interior decorator. Oh, I didn't know they were all chilling on Lifetime. Yeah, I think that they kind of pulled it from pop culture generally because it's so on the nose. It's like an aspirational career. Yeah. But, you know, it's like all really about sort of your taste. So then right away, we like kind of understand that the character has a special eye and is very orderly and uh, probably good with their clients and meeting demands. Like uh, the job of interior decorator, like does a lot of heavy lifting. A lot of heavy lifting. And also, I loved her hair in this movie. I thought they gave her a very, very well, like the hair of both the main characters was was flawless, really. I kept thinking that throughout the movie. And even, oh, and I just, I don't know if we're, not to jump ahead, but in the, jump ahead. In the opening scenes, I'm jumping ahead to the opening scenes. My favorite was <laughs> when the cops are all rushing in, there's a quick shot of a slow moving foot covered the nails are in red, which I just was so taken with that, you know, that there's that slow motion down the stairs and there's all of the, the, the sirens. And I just thought, God, I love that they threw a foot fetish in there. It was just a very dangerous I, foot. I have to say, I've, I've come to notice that as well when that happens in movies, because it just never occurred to me. A foot fetish never occurred to me. And even though I know about it, it still won't necessarily occur to me. So I love it when someone points that out. But also my takeaway is that Penelope M. Miller needs an OnlyFans, especially in these hard times, oh, honey. No I one's going to work. That Golden Globe nomination was back in the earth. Listen, the first Bush was, no, I take it back. Clinton was in his first year of office the last time she was nominated for a Golden Globe. She needs that OnlyFans account ASAP. But I mean, like even Scarlett Johansson, I think, who's probably sitting on 40 million or, or more, it should have an OnlyFans during these times. You never know. Everyone's money's in investments. Oh, honey, and realist. I mean, and everything could just collect. I listen, I totally agree. I support the OnlyFans. I would like to do a scream centric OnlyFans account, kind of, a, a, you know, call out anything they can do for Neff Campbell's career. I try to do. You know this. Yeah. Anything for Neff Campbell. The teeth actress that like literally, you know, she she crawled so Carrie Washington could run, you know, like really like let up the teeth acting for pretty much all Americans. I beg you to ask me, you know, I beg you to tell me who's a better teeth actress than her. Um, but okay, so <laughs> Penelope and Miller's character, we do have a real Betty and Veronica thing going on between Bethany the brunette and Caroline the Blonde. And can I ask you a question? And I'm sure this is a reoccurring theme in Lifetime, but is always the brunette the harder-edged character and the blonde the, the, the true kind-hearted who realizes their mistakes? Because that was I just thought it was very, you know, uh, very, very throwback. But of course, the blonde would be the, you know, the one who really meant well at heart. And then the other one's the hard edge. You know, the brunette, of course, is the hard edge bitch. Oh, and the other thing I loved about the costumes, did you notice there was a lot of use of heavy 
pendants. And then what yes. is this there's, there's, but not bedazzled, but you know, when the pendant is actually on the dress and it, like, I loved that. There was like a, a brooch. Not even a brooch, but it's oh. almost made, you know, when she's in that gray dress and it's got the two like black stones on the dress, it's not jewelry, but it's part of the dress, but it just was very, I loved it. I thought that was. Those details cool. do have a name and I can't remember. I'm, I'm being such like a bad chick right now. I don't remember what those are called, but those definitely have a name. Like when it's a specific type of ornament on the dress for but sure. It, it spoke to me. And you know, like you said, I thought they really put some money into these houses because the houses looked, they looked like they were rich people houses. They, they did. Even though, I mean, it did have the classic lifetime touch of looking like their model homes, like no one's really lived in them. They don't, no. they don't feel lived in, but at the same time, extraordinarily wealthy people like that, especially like sort of like new money wealth, they put so much money into having like all these proper furnishings and they just look unused all the time. Well, because, and also, oh, and yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. I wanted to talk to and not to get off. She's a minor character, but in lifetime, I'm assuming always the help is either black or Latina, but did you notice her, her, they called her Esmeralda, and I thought, you're telling me she couldn't just be, you know, like, Diane. We have to, She has to be Esmeralda. Did you notice yes. that? I was like, I you- did notice that. That's a chronic <laughs> issue with Lifetime. And, like, I couldn't tell if, well, first of all, Esmeralda's daughter is named Shayla. And I don't know if you noticed that, but right away, my Sex in the City brain goes to, oh, my God, is that the woman who stole Charlotte's baby name? Oh no! What's the alternate universe and like Esmeralda's um, Charlotte's college friend who's now cleaning for Bethany? Like maybe after stealing Charlotte's baby name, she really like took a downturn. But yeah, oh, I can I. I I'm sorry. To, I love that you. So do, I do that all the time with thinking of how characters would interact in other shows. Like I'm convinced Sally Draper grew up, changed her name, and became um, Lucille Bluth. In, oh, you know I love I mean? that. Yeah, like completely changed her name, you know, ran into ran into the banana stand in the early late 70s. And I just feel but I love always thinking how other characters would interact in different worlds. Sorry, that's just a I just know we do a lot of that on this show, like feel free to free associate, pull out some crazy ass metaphors. That's like really a good place for us to function. If I'm being honest, but you know, um, I wanted to answer your question about the hair. I find that typically like the lead is the relatable one. And she usually is like sort of like a mousy brown haired girl. Like even if she's very pretty, her hair is still sort of like an average mousy brown. Um, unless it's like a romance story and then the ingenue typically tends to be blonde, but. Um, I think Lifetime does it the opposite. I think Lifetime tries to make the people at home feel like they're the lead and that the popular girl or their enemy is like this blonde seductress. Because like, what's more likely people at home look like, you know, like average pretty girls or that they look like this like evil blonde bombshell? Well, don't you think it always I mean, and I think this I think this was established in 2005 with the Benefer. Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Aniston saga. I think it's always going to be between the battles between good and evil. They just rotate the hair color. You know what I mean? I feel like those lines were established then and now they're in firm, firm use. 
Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, my reference is always Betty and Veronica, just growing up an Archie Comics fan, although I wish I could have gotten more into Riverdale. I think I need to revisit it. But I think, I always, you know, my issue with Riverdale is that even though, I think because I'm in my 30s now, but even though you know those actors are in their early 20s, I don't feel guilt, like, I don't feel guilty about erotic, eroticizing Harry Potter because they are, they, I started reading those books when I was like seven or eight, you know, so I feel like they were older than me then, you know, so I'm like, oh, I can still, you know, get down with a little fan fiction of Harry Potter and, you know, Draco Malfoy having like, you know, an erotic session on the the Quidditch field. However, I feel awkward now if I didn't grow up with something like it's a teen show now, it makes me feel gross being like, oh, that that whole football team in Riverdale's hot. I'm like, oh, no, wait, but they're they're all supposed to be 15 even you know what i mean it just it rubs me the wrong way so i can't watch that riverdale because those guys are I, yeah it's a little bit of the um 90210 effect i call mm-hmm. it when like in the 90s like all these like 30 something year old women were like creaming their pants for dylan mckay who was yeah. supposed to be a 17 year old boy but in reality luke perry was like fully 35 or something <laughs> <laughs> No, that is, peace, by the way that is, we love luke perry oh we love luke. we really love all of the 90210 cast for the most we won't say the those we don't support because again well, they, they had bills to pay too and uh but most of them you know i support i support hillary swank who's got her start on that show we support so many speaking of teeth acting um my girl uh jenny garth is another all-timer like okay, fabulous her those teeth those oh those teeth those teeth they'll carry you honey they will carry they will carry an episode and they will carry you so okay so where we i'm just gonna like skim ahead a little bit but basically yeah. like caroline's son is this kid danny and his parents are basically like terrified that he won't get into stanford and the way that they and remember honey he this has never been done before he's a musician right at heart Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a musician and his parents are afraid he won't make it and he has to go to stanford it's not it's there's nothing else nothing else is good enough for him it's stanford i mean the fact that he is a guitar player and will probably be a starving artist is one thing but the other thing with them is that they really seem to think that he will cease to exist as a functioning member of society if he doesn't go to specifically Stanford because they both went to Stanford and in their minds once you go there the doors of the world open to you like the, the last and- oh they've been blown open the minute you go you step Yes, completely. They, they really- and I remember being sold on college sort of that way, too, where it was like, this is the last hard thing you will ever do in your life. Like, right. once you do this, everything else after that, you'll have connections for life. Life Crazy. is going to be a breeze. Like, of course, I studied fucking film, so <laughs> I can't say that, like, that really had the effect that maybe if I was studying economics or something, maybe that would have been more impactful in terms of, you know, just, like, lifelong connections and doors being blown open, but oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, the thing that this movie, like, that sort of, like, gets it all really juicy and going is that all these parents, like, meet up every day. And it's, like, four moms and one dad. And one clearly gay dad, one clearly gay dad, which I loved. I love the one dad that is having coffee was, the, of course, the one white gay that, you know, the only white gay in all of California. But, yes, no, I, I mean, just love it. 
I think he's a house husband. Yeah. If I, I think he's, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a gay dad. I wish. I think that he's just like, uh, his wife is more successful. So he does like the fetching. He used to work at Human Resources at um, CBS, <laughs> and then she just rose to the top, and he's just decided to stay at home. Yeah, it just made more sense. It made more sense economically and just, yeah, completely. Someone has to be there for the kids after school. It just makes more sense if oh, totally. she was, yeah, okay. And also, I love that, I also love that ever since Big Little Lies, they love to have kind of a chorus you know, remember in the first season of Big Little Lies where they had the chorus of other parents that would kind of interject in to the story or was were talking to the cops? And I feel ever since then, now they, they love a chorus. They love a Greek chorus of kind of, you know, central casting actors and actresses just kind of giving little snide one-off lines. And I, I thought because the, those that trio of people kind of jumped, they, I think they only had two or three more scenes after that, but they yeah. did they did kind of come in to move the plot along at least one or two more times. They're under fives, I think is like what you would call them. Because like, if you have under five lines, you get paid differently. But also this is like a super effective way to save money when you're making these movies is just like put a little Greek chorus over there. A lot of their scenes will be like just silent. And then like, it'll be over music and some action. So you can see like their positive praise or like their disapproving looks. Um, But one thing I want to say about this group of parents is that there wasn't any like obvious jealousy between them. It seems like they all have this like common goal of just wanting to crack the code and get their kids into the best school they can. Completely. And I kind of, I thought that was refreshing. I liked that it was more of not the competition. I mean, they were, all those kids are already in, you know, high school. So, you know, maybe there's not the, the competition, but I just thought I did love that. I love the, they did seem to have a little bond and they just wanted what's best for one another if they had to buy, steal or kill for it. Absolutely. So, of course, Bethany, the fucking brunette bitch, uh, mother of Emma and Taylor, comes out and she's the first person to know of Rick Singer. Apparently, um, you know, they know who he is just because he's very wealthy and like clients send private jets for him, etc. And she says she's hosting a party for him at her work that week. And her partner set the whole thing up. His daughter had um, Skidmore at best. But now her mother is arranging curtains for her college dorm at Yale. Uh, so curtain you remember when we could go curtain shopping that was the time to be alive when we you were weren't to allowed to have that at my school nothing oh, like really? that well, no oh, oh see i was just meant not really at school just in life with you know going to the dillards um, remember walking. the days of curtain shopping <laughs> the dillards curtain shopping oh those were just they were the limit they really were Max, I literally had a nightmare. So I have this $100 Best Buy gift or not Best Buy, Bed Bath and Beyond gift card. And last night I legitimately had a nightmare where part of it involved someone stealing my Bed Bath and Beyond gift card. And it was like very upsetting to me in my dream. I was like very concerned about it. For some reason, I was like almost afraid it was foreshadowing the future because for some reason I had nothing except for this Bed Bath & Beyond gift card to survive, essentially. Wait, and no, once it went you, missing... You know what's so crazy? Have you read any... I mean, first of all, I love that we're doing this podcast on the day that, you know, the UF... Have you read any about today? About, not, not to get off of topic. Well, but, I was a big like, 182 fan. So, like, I just feel so proud if I if this is going where I think it is with Tom DeLonge from Blink-182 getting the Navy to release yeah. Alien. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I know. I, and I love, I had, I literally had someone text me today that they were, you know, because supposedly with the pandemic, people A, are having trouble sleeping, which is, of course, but that people are having very lucid dreams. And I had a friend who is hard, she is hardcore conspiracy theorist, which especially during a pandemic is when you want to hear those thoughts. But oh, she of course. convinced that the aliens are now enhancing our dream capabilities. And like sending out, I mean, it, it was a whole spiel. And I just loved that that's where her head goes, that not only is with the plague, but that the aliens are now trying to reach us through the dreams, like kind of a fucked up uh, nightmare on Elm Street, but with an aliens twist. I was like, yeah, I, I, believe that. I, I was like, let's get into Quibi and pitch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally a Quibi. <laughs> Can you imagine releasing the marketing for something saying in the middle of where all people do is have time right now. And the marketing is if you have 10 minutes, it's like all we have. That's all there is at this point. At the very least, you could bring your friend on Chrissy's court for emotional distress. (laughs) I feel like. Quibi will be involved in this one way or another. It has but, to be. We are. I, we should probably tell the audience we are not. Been, we have not been paid by Meg Whitman personally to mention Quibi. No. <laughs> no, not yet. Not no. Yet. <laughs> um. So okay. So basically, when we go to this thing with Rick Singer, he is like literally. He has televangelist energy. Where like yeah. you'll kind of believe anything he says, and the way he works the room at the after party, he walks right up to Danny and is basically like, "Let me guess." Like you're a cynic, like you've got, you're playing guitar all night long. You're a genius and it's unrecognized. And Danny's like, mom, did you tell him about me? Like, as if that's what his mom would tell Rick Singer. <laughs> like, it was amazing. But then Rick's like, no, I could actually tell because of your angst and your callous left finger, but also because I was exactly like you. So right away with the fucking Charles Manson shit. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't call that Charles Manson shit, but cult leadership. And um, Taylor, you know, the little daughter goes, yeah, I'm not going to college. I'm just going to the army. And he goes, West Point for you. So like he he is so like Rick Singer is on his game and just excellent at manipulating these families. He really And I thought they did. I thought his casting was great. Um, I kind of went on a deep dive of his IMDb page. And apparently he was in a bunch of those Stargate 932 shows. He he's very handsome. Was that just me? No, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not even my type, but like, I could acknowledge that he's handsome. Like when I say not my type, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't mean I would fuck this guy. I mean, normally like, like certain people that aren't attractive to me don't even fall on my radar. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good looking man. Like he's a, they got, they, they really got it down. Like you said, he did, he had such good spiels and and honestly, they weren't eye rolling spiels as much as they were just very slick. And I thought they did very well with how, you know, to see, because again, I mean, I, I don't think if we're going to go to the real scandal, I don't think clearly the privilege and the, the disgusting of, of doing the actual thing, but you can see where if you prey on people, you know, trying to get them to do the best for their kid. And I thought they did a really good job of making him really act like he cared about the kid so much. But then of course was like, and by the way, that'll be $300,000. Well, I mean, I was going to say, like, one of the, like, best things I thought he did was sort of, like, seamlessly massage out of Emma at this event. Pardon, like, the 
like weird porny word choice there, but he gets her to like admit that she wants to go to Yale partially because her boyfriend goes there and sort of just like, but I feel like I should just try for Trinity instead. I loved, I loved the, they were, whoever was the casting director really had a thing for twinks or twonks. Like they were very fit Twinkie guys, and because the boyfriend was, I thought the boyfriend at first was the son of the blonde, and then I'm like, yeah. no, that's a different white boy, which almost again almost never happens in Lifetime movies. There's two Twinkie white boys to choose from, and that's unheard of. But- I have to say, Taylor's or Emma's boyfriend was fucking hot, and like that's not even my type. But when he got out of the pool and like kissed her after he helped her with her. Pride and Prejudice homework. I was like, ooh, I was like, you can get it, boy. Like, that is some, okay, that's a Yale freshman right there, honey. And honey, what was the, what did, was it, she had to find five things ironic about the first five chapters of Emma? What was that line? It was a great line. It was like, oh, I have to find the first five. Oh, it was her universal truth is neither universal nor a truth. <laughs> That part I loved. And I loved that pool scene. That was a great, he did look good. Yeah, I loved it. I was like, oh my God. Cause when you can like get me to be like, oh my God, look at that hot guy getting out of the pool. That really, yeah, you like, never think with your dick. I mean, you know me, no. I'm thinking with the dick all the time. That's never you. You're very much like, ooh, the seat. No. So I'm it, like, what's, what's he like spiritually? Um, oh, so. Yeah. Then we see a title card. It's six months later. So the kids take the October SATs and surprise, surprise, the results are not great. Um, Then we see Bethany go in to like basically verbally assault the college counselor at the school, who's like the only woman of color in this movie that's like in sort of a a position where she's like... um, uh, like an employee essentially besides for besides Esmeralda this like young woman she's a black college counselor she's just like out here doing her job and like doing a very great a good job at it like not yeah. asking too many questions but asking the right questions when they come up and she's just basically like you know what like if you um if you don't make this happen for my kid like don't say George Washington University is the very best that she can do I donate like clockwork. And then it's like, you know, it's basically it it feels very racially charged, if I'm being honest, because at one point she goes, this is an attack on the one percent and like even sort of implies that things would be different for her daughter. She probably could have come up with a better school than George Washington if her daughter hadn't hadn't been a white girl. Oh, totally. And I mean, I what I thought for and I didn't know that they went that real in Lifetime. I think that's what a lot of parents of that of like of that 1% do think is that the, the spots that they've rightfully paid for are being right. taken by people less than from affirmative action or whatnot. And I think they, they did a really good job about that. And again, the actress, she does, she really, I've seen her. Did you ever see the black Dahlia with Hillary Swank? Um, and no, Scarlett I've Hitler. never seen it. I know. And I, I've been needing to since she came out. Smart, and she's so good. And she also plays the villain on 24 and, of course, a lesbian on The L Word. But she, the original L Word, not the remake of The L Word. I love you saying, of course, a lesbian on The L Word. <laughs> <laughs> but she did. She's a good, she's a great actress. I'm, I really, she did such a good job with that part. And that scene is chilling because, like you said, she really does say, I mean, 
the the it's one bam 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 and you're just thinking that's what these parents do think they think not only have they paid for it and put in the work and paid met the donations and done all that but then there are so many lesser than people taking the spots due to ethnicity or sexual i mean all of that stuff I just right thought- it's that well i'm damned if i do damned if i don't exactly. like oh i'm sorry for being successful like now my daughter has to pay for my success like oh, oh. Very we, we haven't even mentioned, I love that she has a schlubby ex-husband that she keeps insulting slyly that we don't see until maybe close, like, it, it might oh, be a little no, close. I have notes on him. Oh, I like oh, his oh. Skype call. Wait, let's blow through a little bit of this, though. Yeah, so sorry. We'll get to him. Rick Singer shows up to Bethany's house and they have a talk about what they can do for Emma and Taylor and Esmeralda are going to school. Like Esmeralda's driving Taylor to school and Rick says that he can do something. It's like not really that complicated. And the way he sort of shuts the door behind them, it's unclear if Bethany is paying for the quote unquote side door option that we all know about, or if she's doing that and giving him a blow job, because it yeah. seems like kind of, did you get that vibe too? Like yeah, did Bethany blow yeah. Rick? Singer? Well, there was a little sexual tension, and I don't know if it's just because the actors are... I don't know what, but yeah, there was some undertones, which I quite enjoyed. They match each other's intensity, which is very what I think fun. is like very... It's That's what's good about the two of them together, is they really like have that same thing. Um, Caroline and Caroline, uh, a.k.a. Penelope Ann Miller and her husband are literally acting like Danny getting a 1250 on the SATs is like he got a DUI. Like they basically <laughs> are, they are like beyond. They don't know what they're going to do about him. They're worried yeah. about his future. So um, then Rick comes over and meets with Danny's mom, Caroline, and he basically explains the side door option to her as well. And she is like total Pollyanna during this scene. Like you would not think at all that she's an interior designer that works with multiple sultans as well as three Oscar winners. Like, I'm sorry. Wait, when you're working I'm with so the sultans and Oscar so- winners... I'm so glad you said brought up the Sultan line. I forgot about the Sultan line. What an odd. Do you think Disney paid for that as a kind of an undertone to watch Aladdin on Disney Plus? Um, possibly, but I, yeah, I guess does. I guess, yeah, did, I can see a world where Disney paid lifetime for promotion for <laughs> Disney Plus. But yeah. I mean, when was literally the last time you heard the word Sultan? I think that that's a safe assumption. Um, yeah, but no, like truly, it's like it is. It's crazy because I'm like, lady, you work with like the dark elite rich. Like those are people that are being accused of drinking like adrenochrome on TikTok right now. Like I seriously doubt that. Like you're blown away by the idea of like paying a little money to go through the back wait, door. Wait, Holly, Holly, wait, we have to guess. Okay, say there's two Oscar winners. Who are the Oscar winners she designs houses for? Honestly, my mind went straight to Meryl Streep. <laughs> oh, see, okay. I want to know where you're going, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you where I'm going. And then maybe Renee Zellweger. Oh, I can see Renee, not Meryl, but I can see Renee because I feel like Meryl Streep's the type who would do it herself, and it would just look great. Right. But I'm going much more like I feel like Oscar winners like Mira Sorvino, you know, like oh, I'm the one and done. Like that's the kind of Oscar winner I'm thinking. Or like, oh God, who is who'd be another? Or like a Cuba Gooding Jr. You know what I right. mean? Like they won the Oscar, but then the curse just set in. Well, that would explain why she's so clueless about like this. I would think she would know about the Illuminati, for God's sake. I would think she would be Illuminati adjacent. Well, if you're having high cocktails or high tea with sultans, you know about the Illuminati. 
So I'm going to play this clip of when she tells her husband about this whole scheme with Rick Singer. And it is, I have to say, I wish I could play you guys video as well. You're just going to have to go watch it if the audio bites you. But this is one of the most comically played scenes I've ever seen in one of these movies where it's almost like as if the actors were in full agreement about this being like an insane movie and the and like almost on a i don't know like because this movie does have some camp to it so i'm just gonna play this um it's 1556 to 1849 this is insane mm. it was completely surreal so how, how does it work the the coaches just get to yes they get to pick a few kids that they want in and that list gives those applications the extra gas they need to get over the line. So what, Singer just hands the coaches a bag of cash and then they pick your kid? Whether or not your kid actually ever played that sport? Well, there's Rick Singer's foundation, and that foundation is supposed to provide scholarships for underprivileged children. But it doesn't. Apparently not. Oh, my God. And... The parents put money into that foundation, and then the foundation... Pays the bribes. Are they bribes? Yeah, they're kind of bribes. No, they're actually bribes. Well, there's more, but it costs extra. There's this shrink, Rick Singer's shrink. Paid for out of the scholarship fund for the underprivileged. Mm -hmm. And the shrink says that your kid needs extra time for the SATs, and... The kid goes to this special location where there's a proctor who's also on the payroll. No. Yes. Yeah. And the proctor either provides the answer for the kid or takes the test after the kid goes. And scores go up like 400 points or points or whatever you want. Oh, my God. So, so that's how he does it. Yeah. So all of this... Ivy League, all this Stanford, Georgetown, USC, UCLA. He's done it for hundreds of families. Names you would recognize. Actors, actresses. It seems so easy. I'm amazed everybody doesn't do it. Not everybody has a quarter of a million dollars laying in their kitchen drawer. That's how much. Well, it's 150 for the sports and 100 for the tests. Cheaper than endowing a library. And no more fighting with Danny. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. So? Well. Do we? Are you seriously asking me that? Yeah. Yeah, why not, do we? Now, we could get into very serious trouble for this, Caroline. All right, and, and it would kill Danny. I mean, you, you know him. He's so... I know, but... Caroline. I know, I know. <sighs> that music swell at the end, though. Oh. Uh. Did and you the, feel that or what? And the, and the light whispers she does. What she does with the whispers truly takes my breath away. 
Oh, for sure. And because also, like, her character's clearly, like, a little drunk. Like, she's had a couple right, glasses yeah. of wine. Yeah, she's like, you know, it's it's not it's not ugly yet, but it's she's yeah. drunk, for sure. Yeah. And, like, the, the best part is, is, like, her husband doesn't even realize, like, she's proposing this until, like, he's listening to it, like, oh, my God, this is, like, she's telling me, like, this horrific story. And he doesn't realize that his wife is, like, yo, like, let's, let's get involved. Like, why wouldn't we do this? Oh, totally. I kind of love how, like, naive they, um, they play. That well, whole especially because, again, she is an interior decorator to a sultan, and he is a right. high-priced attorney, and you're telling, they, they really do act very, you know, like you said, Pollyanna. It's very, it, it's very the next door neighbors from Bewitched, George, the, the Kravitzes, and it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, right, right. They're just a little, they're just a little dumb. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, okay, uh, they're obviously not going to do this right away. This isn't something that they want to, they want to do immediately. But Bethany, meanwhile, she's already on to getting pictures of Emma kicking a soccer ball. She has to quote unquote sell a learning difference to a therapist which means like I think they're just saying like show up and act a little slow um, and she's also thrilled that she can write off this donation to his foundation so we've oh, established yeah. that the tax write off whole thing which is which was really one of the bigger problems if you're asking me that was one of like the probably the the nail that like sealed their like coffins on this one but um, okay so what do you think of Caroline's assistant Colby Oh, I lo- again, we almost never get to see a gay interior decorator assistant. And I thought this was just, I mean, riveting and groundbreaking. I mean, yeah. my God. And named Colby. Was it was his name Colby? Yeah, the way Colby went down to the design center to make sure Dino wasn't drowning in that Aspen thing was amazing. <laughs> the Aspen thing. <laughs> I forgot it's about the Aspen thing. like a rich person, like, oh. Here's a here's a notification like here's a like little sign that they're rich. Here's a sign that they're doing well. Like you just like buzzwords. But I adore I adored Col- Colby. He's another one who only had what five, under five lines, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, like you know, she tells Rick she calls him up where he's. We establish that the way that it works is he goes to the soccer coaches or the coaches wherever. And he says, like, I just need you to get this girl on. A hundred thousand is going to go to you, and then fifty is going to go to the athletic program. So we also established that the coaches are super like in on this. To n- not just that, but to the extent that they're taking like double what they're willing to offer, like the you know what they're willing to offer the athletic program, which is honestly the only thing rick singer has going for him with his foundation because low-key it is so fucked up and so shady that they called this whole like like charity or foundation like something to help underprivileged children like it's just so like shakespearean and strange oh completely oh i love the shakespearean call out don't you think? Oh, completely. And I love that we only got to see his assistant once, but she was very Macbethish. She was very Lady Macbethish. You know, she yeah. was very stoic and that she had an updo. And I just, I love that. Was it across a football field? Yeah, it was a soccer field, I think. Whatever field, the lacrosse field. 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 It was the fields of dreams and that they were creating. And I loved her one. I love a one scene wonder. I love just, you know, those characters that you never see again, but you're always going back to thinking, why aren't we seeing more of her? 
Where oh yeah, that's like my bread and butter, baby. Like I love a one line where like they've got me on their side till the end. Like it's a real Roger Rabbit moment for me. Like when he made everyone in the bar laugh and then they wouldn't sell him out for anything. Yay. Like that's how I feel about a character who gives me an amazing one liner in these movies. Cause I'm just like, yeah, like I'll fucking defend you for life. Like, absolutely. In fact, like I'll work extra hard so I can find a way to hire you someday. Like, you know, yeah. who's, good, you know who's great. I mean, she's more than a one liner, but Heather Burns, who's miss new or miss in, uh, she's in miss congeniality and two weeks notice. She's Sarah, Cheryl Frazier in miss congeniality. You know, she's like the, She's it's probably a- been like 20 years for me in miscongeniality, if I'm being honest um, with you. Yeah, I've been having a, I've been having a, this plague has brought out my Sandra Bullock renaissance, my inner Sandra Bullock renaissance. And other than the I blind love side, Sandy. which I refuse to watch the blind side or crash, but the other ones I'm there for Sandra Bullock. While you were sleeping is probably like on my short list of favorite movies. Oh, it's so, I love, and okay. Practical magic is pretty damn good. I have to rewatch it. I hated it in the theater, but I was also young. But I would say While You Were Sleeping is my favorite rom-com ever. Oh, oh, it's, it's, well, you know, and, oh, God, it's the guys in that are so cute, too. It's Peter Gallagher and his eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Bill Pullman, hot mid-90s. Bill Pullman, hot Bill, yeah. Like, the Mm -hmm. same year he did, he was Casper, or Christina Ricci's dad in Casper. And I had such a crush on him. And then he does while you were sleeping with Sandra Bullock and just seals it. 95 was a good year. Oh my God. And then he had Independence Day the next year. He had two good years. The the mid-Clinton years were good for Bill Pullman. Also in that movie, a lifetime queen, Monica Kina. She's done many Lifetime movies and I love her as an actress. She was in... um, Is she the one from Shameless? I think that's Emmy Rossum. No, the mo- the woman who plays her mom in Shameless, who plays Emmy. Oh, I, I've never seen it. I don't know. I'm not good with that stuff. You're much more culturally rich than me. I'm going to look her up, though. Okay, I love her. And I oh, the last thing, I, I know this isn't about while you were sleeping, but I love the granny who is, I believe, the mom from Mary Poppins, the mom of the kids. Yes. Mary That's the granny in that, and I love her. Just adore her. That's an I love Sorry, her, too. No more about while you were sleeping. <laughs> So Bethany, though, has a much easier time getting Emma on board. And this is like when she does another one of her like spins that's really dark. She basically says that, you know, um, school gets endowments all the time. So how is this different? We've heard that argument throughout. Bethany said that she's heard of minority kids being admitted admitted with scores 200 points less than hers. They have advantages and she has hers. She studied Darwinism. She knows that this is the natural way of the world. Some people survive and some people don't. Some people can do this for their kids and some people can't. She like literally manages to bring up like the whole element of like minorities getting screwed over like throughout eternity in school admissions and everything else and manages to make herself the victim in it, which I have to say hats off to Bethany for like being that evil. Like who could imagine? This episode is sponsored by book of the month. I've been subscribed to book of the month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader, who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the month. They've read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. 
They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming. And when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Oh, 
Oh, she did. I mean, really, like the gal, she did such a fabulous job of really hitting home that character and really hitting home because don't you think that was what the with the nationwide scandal? That's what turned everyone off so much was just the idea that the Felicity Huffman or whoever it was kept saying, "I would do anything for my child." And it's like, honey, it's one thing to steal a loaf of something because your child can't eat. It's another thing to say, "I would do anything to get my child into an overpriced, overhyped school by giving five, building a library." You know what I mean? It just it came off the whole argument of "I would do anything for my child" is it's when it's not a life or death thing is very different. And she just did so many great speeches of that. You know, I have to say that I don't really know. There's a lot of things that like sort of surprised me about this whole scandal, but like this sort of cult like worship around big universities and colleges was the one thing that I understood. And like, that is like, you know, I went to Boston college. Like it was like, I was literally like, I was going to go to Suffolk, university i had like a full scholarship i was gonna go and study politics and like you know be right across from the capitol building and like do i i was like had my whole life planned and i remember my mom calling me into a room on christmas eve and basically being like i really want you to think about boston college i was an artsy girl too like i know you don't think you're gonna fit in there but you can kind of make boston college what you want it to be and it's a great school and like she just really like she rick singered me and like I 100% bought into it. I remember going to like my orientation at BC and like I didn't take my Boston College super fan off for like a week and a half after. I was so yeah. amped on it. Like I completely got indoctrinated. And I think that, you know, I'm not surprised for the status or whatever else that they did. I also think that, you know, I mean, my mom was like, yeah, like I'm not shocked. They wanted what was best for their children. Honestly, if you want me to say the thing that shocked me the most was that they were dumb enough to write it off on their taxes. That's oh. the thing that I think that that really has left me like dumb struck about this whole thing was like that, that sort of. Did that really happen with some? Did people really do that? In the yes. Real- Really? Yeah, that is like that's like the additional sort of charges that um a lot of them are going down for like the ones who are still that refuse to go like plea guilty those are the major charges that they're like standing up against is is like the racketeering oh god and you know they're gonna make an example of them whether they did it or not Oh, oh my God. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, I, I'm going to play the clip, I think, of Bethany in court, like, arguing with the yeah. judge about how, can you, like, reschedule, can you work around my schedule sort of thing? But, oh, that was, that was br- and the judge was just completely, no. Yeah, I mean, the judge was like, I'm sorry, bitch, what? Um, But, yeah, so then we see just a quick clip of this guy, Coach Meredith, in Boston. He's getting wrapped up into the situation. He He's, like, basically talking to an FBI guy on a wire, and he mentions Rick Singer. So now, next thing we know, the next chapter of the investigation is officially starting, which was kind of, like, amazing to see, because I always think about sort of how these houses of cards come down, and it really yeah. only needs to start with one person, who's willing to talk a little bit. Um, so, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say that's so true. And I mean, I, I, I need to look back at the actual case, but this went on. Wasn't he able to do it for quite a long time? Rick Singer this went on for like over a decade. Like they, like it also like called into a, like a question, Jared Kushner's um, admission to Harvard. Like that's how far back it went. It was like over a decade. So when you think about it, it's people that, have been in the working world for like sometimes eight years, you know? So I have a question too, and not to get into it. So here's the thing. 
So say, do you think, never mind, we can do this at the end, I apologize, never mind, continue. Okay, so Emma's basically like Danny's parents, quick line, Danny's parents basically get him on board with doing this. And then they're like, okay, because you agree that you're going to study. We're going to like basically ask you, we're going to put you on an embargo with like music, basically. And you have to take a break because now we're studying for this. And basically, they're just paying for like what is essentially Rick Singer's basic model, which is super intense tutoring apparently so then we go to emma skyping with her dad and i feel like you call their dad like a bum or something i feel like her dad is portrayed almost as like a disney-esque version of like a brilliant but troubled father like the way he sort of relates to her um i'm gonna play this skype call one sec hi daddy i hope that wall behind me is out of focus i do not want you screen grabbing it and selling my entire plot in the black market in malaysia is there a black market for novels only brilliant ones (laughs) I read the first chapter six times a week. Oh my god, when Ethan finds the robin's nest, it makes me cry every time. Will you send me more? Oh yeah, for the price of a visit. The second that school's out. Well, that would make me supremely happy. Now, are you supremely happy, my angel? I'm good. Father's ears, since they aren't hearing the entire story. What troubles your soul, my love? I don't know, Dad. There's just things that I'm not certain about. Well, maybe that's because you're signing into your mother's machine-made consumer-indexed idea of what certainty is, when in fact the entire concept of certainty might be entirely overrated. So, tell me, what's the problem and how can Papa help? There's no problem. Really, I'm... I'm good. I actually have a ton of homework to do, so I should probably go talk to you tomorrow. I love you. I love you too. So her dad is like in front of a wall of post-its where he's like arcing out his next novel and he's literally eating tuna out of the can, which I have to say when I was very broke and going through it, I took a lot of joy in eating tuna out of the can myself. And I just feel like the way that they depicted him, it's almost as if Emma would have been better off with like her drug addicted ish like problems problem-filled father than she would have been with Bethany. Oh, they really play. And he doesn't even Bethany mention his, well, oh, he has a job. He's not, he's not drinking. And what I thought was odd was it makes it sound like he has a job. And then all of a sudden he's a novelist. So did he get an advance to write this novel about the rabbit? There were rabbit. Didn't she say that when someone finds the rabbits, Yeah, I mean, imagine being so removed from your father, like so separated from him that you stan him and read the first chapter of his unfinished novel six times. (laughs) Like, that's how bad this girl needs a dad. And like, I don't even... craving it. Yeah, she needs it. She needs a dad, dude. And, it, you know, in all fairness, like, yeah, your mom's a fucking crazy person. Like, Bethany scares me, if I'm being totally honest. Um, so Emma does her photo shoot, um, and Bethany directing it is, like, pure comedy. It's, again, like, why this movie sort of rides the line of, like, camp and also covering something really serious. And I have to say, generally... Like I, I, I saved this movie for like a mini episode because I feel like whenever they do something super close to it breaking in the news, it's a little bit lackluster. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they made up for the fact that there wasn't a lot of concrete evidence there by like doing like a lot of character work and having some sort of fun with it because these 
rip from the headlines moments are typically, you know, big draws for eyes. So I kind of feel like they were taking a chance here and sort of reinventing what it is you know about Lifetime movies. So maybe new people will come in and be like, hey, they're kind of funny. Um, But also, you know, sort of making us care about the characters and like how hurt everyone gets because of their actions. Like you really feel, you know, when Caroline gets busted, you really feel for them. Oh, totally. And then I want to ask you, and then this kind of gets back into the real world. Do you feel like the kids are culpable in their parents' actions? I mean, because they made it very clear how the ones, I mean, they made it clear that the Danny had no idea yet. The friend, and I also, not to jump ahead, but I loved the gay undertones between the two. I literally, I wrote in my notes, can they just fuck? Like, it was unbelievable. Like, I was like, please just, like, suck each other off and get it over with. This has been mounting, as Danny says, since you were in diapers. Like, let's just go. And I loved that. And I, I mean, it's so bizarre because still social media and everything has been with us for so long, but it still comes off so disingenuous when you mention it. Remember the line where he goes, I mean, you told me when Bethany or when... Jenna commented on your comment of someone's comment, but you don't tell me when your points, your SAT points jump 250%. I'm like, okay, first of all, you two are lovers. And second of all, Oh my God. Yes. That, that whole part threw me. And then also, can I, I don't remember talking with everyone going when everyone was getting into college about it. Like, I don't remember everyone sitting around talking about it. Like that's all anyone talked about all day long, all day long. I mean, I, I don't know. Did, was that like that for you, your junior and senior year, just you and your friends talking non every day about where you wanted to go to college? Um, Yeah, a little bit. But like we also went to a really academic. I went to private or public school rather in Massachusetts that Lexington, Massachusetts has really good public schools it's like a big reason why people choose to live there and it's why my mom kept me there she grew up there and it's why my mom kept me there is because like the schools are essentially private schools and um you know it was like you know nine kids from my class went to harvard i think 12 of us went to boston college like there was a couple kids who were like chic enough to do a gap year. But like at the time that was like a really strange and sort of scary thing that they would do. Like people did city year, which was like basically like a, a long form, um, you know, year off of just like doing community service. But even that was considered to be like a little scrappy, um, And, you know, there was definitely kids who like went to community college or chose not to enroll. And um, but like it was a standout thing, like in our senior year um, final like paper of our senior year, it printed where everyone was going to school. And like it was definitely like a little jump on the page when someone was not enrolled or undecided or. um, I mean, and it'll be interesting you know, I mean, I'm such a firm believer in higher education and the value of education and blah, 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 blah. But as the world is taken over by robots and plagues and aliens, it's really fascinating to me. How are we going to reevaluate what even an education means or looks like? What does it even mean when it's just bought and paid for by the people who can afford it the most? What What is that the world even going to look like? Because, you know, I just think... <sighs> I don't know where I'm going with that rant, but I do hope we reevaluate all of that because I think it's ridiculous. And I mean, who knows what even kind of jobs are going to be available to most of us by the time in five, 10 years. You know what I mean? It's just, it's really fascinating to me. 
Well, that's what was so interesting about this, because like, you know, as we know, dear sweet Olivia Jade of Lori Loughlin's uterus fame, she, you know, she was like a little bit like, you know, it was sort of like late, like when they decided to make um, a big deal out of her going to school. Like it's a little bit late in the game, I think, to still really place such a high value on like a on a big name education, especially when someone's not directly pursuing something that like you need a degree for like medical doctor, teacher, you know, all that stuff, like economics, like all that stuff, it makes sense to have a degree, but there's so many alternative careers that have popped up, not just out of like innovation, but also necessity that it's like, you don't really have to go to college anymore. Like people aren't really judging kids that don't go to college anymore. I'm a little bit older than you when it was considered to be like a real, you know, I think it was a thing, not just in the culture and in town I grew up in, but also in the time I grew up that you really like wanted to be going to a private college and you really wanted to be doing that experience, but not anymore. And don't you also think, I mean, I think, you know, because I graduated in 2009, right? Like the year after the you know, the economic crisis. And I feel like in the last 10 years, the biggest thing is we're realizing, you know, you're sold one thing on college. And then I think it's an amazing experience. And I do think, you know, I wish as this is a tired old thing that most people say, I wish I had appreciated it more when I was in it, because you don't understand almost the value of when you're lucky enough, if you, you know, or the people who work their asses off and work, you know, I was fortunate enough where I did not, um, you know, work throughout college. and with that, it's thinking, you know, my God, when you're just focusing on, oh, I need this college degree so I can do this compared to this is one of the only times you'll be able to learn and actually expand your mind and spend all the time you want taking a class on X, you know, and I just I I hope we can get back to what the, that what. And I know that's different for every person, too. No, I'll definitely say, like, our first day at BC, like, we had a big conference in the auditorium, and one of the Jesuits stood up and basically said, like, if you came to Boston College to get a career, you've made a mistake. Because in Boston College, at Boston College, we're a liberal arts school. Like, you're not necessarily here to follow out a degree and, you know, just get that. It's not like an end thing. Like, this is the beginning of you dipping into all the different topics in life you could ever learn about and, you know, to explore that. And like, that's one thing I have to say, I really love about the Jesuits. Like you, obviously the Catholic church, there's a lot of fair criticism there, but I have to say that the Jesuits are like, it was a unique, um, without being unique, it was a unique college experience because it wasn't about, you know, we didn't have Greek. We didn't have a lot of that stuff. That's like really just like super harmful. Um, and also like takes away from education. Like Boston college really was sort of about, you know, while also demanding that we take like a certain amount of like, um, you know, spiritual classes, what are they called? What are they called when you take a class? that's about spiritual shit, a religious course, a mystic course. No, not a mystic course. Um, like a like a. It was always yeah. It was always something like I don't know. It wasn't philosophy. It was more like religiously based. But um, without being like overbearingly Catholic, like you know, for the most part, we had a pretty like you know a, a great sort of approach to everything. Um, but anyway, so let's well, zoom past some of the. Oh, go ahead. Can I say one last thing? And then what I want to, I what I did think they did well with the kids 
I mean, and throughout the whole movie was, and I think this is a huge problem we face as not only a nation, but worldwide, is this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, especially in the last 10 years with social media and whatnot. You know, we are our, all of our own publicists and everything is all about clout. And, you know, I, I loved at the end of the movie when the son was saying, you did it so you could have an anecdote at a cocktail party to say that I go to Stanford. And he kind of got very Catherine Hepburn there, which I quite enjoyed. But I thought that was such a good well, point. Well, that was such a great point that was brought up like in the press over and over again, which is like the parents did it for their own personal clout. And like to come back to the idea of like, you know, what you were saying with like social media and everything, Rick Singer makes it very clear that like, you know, in his mind, the way he sort of frames it to the kids, like. I'm just helping you get like a personal brand, like something that's marketable to a school, which brings me to the fact that, you know, they've photoshopped the photos of the soccer game for Emma. And then he reads her an essay that someone on his team wrote that says, I don't think my soccer matches are a picnic for my mom. I mean, who wants to hear the other team calling their supposedly sweet little girl names like the killer and monster (laughs) and agent of death? And then this like gets a laugh from Bethany. And then um, he reads the rest. Sorry, mom, but I wear these titles like a queen wears her crown. And I'm going to say like, I think that that is like a fine essay for like maybe a ninth grader, but that's not getting into Yale uh, material. No. Which just sort of goes to show, like, I think that that might be the quality of the writing that they handed in. Like, it just, that's how made in the shade they were. Um, but we find out Emma's going to go to Houston to take her SATs and that a note about anything would be enough to get her to take her SATs in a different state. Um, and we find out that Singer has a test guy who is like a Harvard guy who can get scores down to the exact amount of points. And they agree that they're going to go for something around um, like a 1450 because anything over 500 points is outrageous. Um, I think that are they going off of like the old scale? I think they're going off of 1600 in this movie. I think they are as well. Because like. If so, I don't think a 1540 would get you into Stanford. Not if not, today, rather. Not today's racket. Um, so Danny has a show that night, and his friend, who is obviously in love with him, says to him, you were great tonight, Danny. No, seriously, you killed that so hard. I'm surprised we don't hear sirens. Um, oh, stop it. Stop it. And Danny's like stoned when he walks in and his parents catch him. And they're basically, they're going to try and take his guitar away from him. And um, Danny, first of all, says, oh, yeah, mom, am I as high as you when you got kicked out of Disney for jumping off the boat on Pirates of the Caribbean? And she's like, I regret telling you that story. Honey, Um, I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that because does that not tie into the Sultan Disney paid for that promotion. I agree. I, honey, my brain clicked exactly at the same time. I was like, hmm, maybe they are, maybe they do have a hand in this. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. You know, all these big companies work together, and guess who they all work with? The Illuminati. Thank you. <laughs> I think Caroline killed Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was uh, maybe it was Jackson when they were in jail. Jackson like got out of the federal prison for killing Jeffrey Epstein. So the moms at the coffee shop are all chirping about you know Emma's SAT scores, which really like sort of gets into Caroline's head. Um, and Jackson is very triggered when his boss's uh, his boss's son gets into Princeton. So basically, that's the turning point for them. They're like, we are socially ostracized because 
our kid isn't just living up to our standards. Like everyone around us is doing better than us. And they talk about him like he's going to become like a homeless junkie. Like they act like those are the stakes in their mind. It's like Stanford or I mean, like Skid Row. It's like pick an option. There's no in between with them. There's no like happy life. There's no like, you know, chasing your dreams, but also being a responsible citizen. Like they go straight to they have no faith in him, basically. No. And I thought they did really well. And that's what I did love is that, I mean, the guy, you know, the music, the they just could not stomach that music career. Mm-mm. They were not here for that. So Danny's friend, um, we find out at school, has always really wanted to get into Stanford since he was in fourth grade. And he can't believe that Danny like is a double legacy and he doesn't give a shit. Um, so obviously, well, not obviously, but Danny's friend is... Um, Latinx, I would assume, I think, because he calls him, um, he says Andale earlier on. So I think that we're supposed to take that as a hint that he is, um, he is Latinx in some sense. So right then, Danny gets a text that clearly rocks his world. Um, and then when he comes home, his parents are working with Rick Singer and he basically tells them, like, guys, like that gig that I worked at last week when you like ripped me a new asshole. Well, I got a manager and he gave me an MP3 drive with my set that he recorded, which I was like, what is that? Like, what did you meet up with this man after school? Like, what? Are, when did you get this, this jump or this flash drive? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? So, um, the one good piece of advice that's given in this entire movie is his dad tells him, listen, don't sign anything until I have a chance to look at it. Cause managers that, can be tricky. That's the only good piece of advice that comes of this whole fucking movie. That, that was such a good, and that's good advice for anyone. Literally read. I mean, what, before you put your, that pen to paper, you read it. And if you don't understand it, you wait and you have someone who can read it and un- comprehend, give you the cliff notes, because that's the biggest mistake you can make is, putting your name to that paper and saying, well, I didn't understand it. Well, fool, it's up to you to understand it. I mean, am I a dummy or is this like, uh, is this not obviously like sort of a, a wink to the audience that like they had what he needed to succeed the whole time, which is like the connections and leverage and awareness to get their son a leg up in the music industry. I'm so yeah. glad you mentioned that because even if the Oscar winner was say Mira Sorvino, they clearly have there's clearly enough clout between the two of these fools that they could put him in contact and i i'm so glad you mentioned that because that was you know between that's so funny you'd mention that because that is such a good point that these people could have put them in contact with anything so that's so fun i mean they kind of played it like danny this is such an unattainable dream it's like why don't you just cut an album for give him that hundred thousand dollars to cut that stupid out you know what i mean like yeah. they have all the assets that's needed to do it so i think that was funny that danny you're <laughs> never gonna make it when literally call mira sorvino and she'll put you in touch with paul abdul's people and the magic will happen there we go baby um so they managed to convince danny that he has undiagnosed adhd so he can go meet with a therapist and get extra test time well, um, that's the comment. I love that. That's the issue for every for every male on any probably life yes. that it's just ADHD. That's the problem. Okay. He's a racist ADHD. So ADHD murderer ADHD. That's the problem. Undiagnosed. But also, like Danny doesn't have ADHD. Like it's just like he basically wants no. 
Yeah. No, I think he just doesn't have interest in school. I think he has like passions other way, other places. And of like, course. and his song, and I hope that song was an original written for this film and is Emmy nominated. Oh, we'll play it. Don't worry. <laughs> because really, like, he really did have a, a little soulful voice. And, you know, look, wait till the end, because that is a, that is oh, a, I was getting a little John Mayer in his Georgia years coming up. I was oh, getting a little yeah. bit of, you know, that, that good white boy with a guitar moment. Um, so Emma gets called into the counselor at school, the one who her mother like verbally abused. And yeah. they're basically like, yeah, so Yale contacted, contacted us and they were like, why was Emma's application all about soccer when she has never played soccer? And frankly, I'm wondering the same thing. And Emma's like, oh, um, that was a summer thing. So then, um, we go to Bethany also verbally abusing Rick Singer and his base. She's like, you fucked this up. You really like, fucked me on this one rick <laughs> and uh, I, what i love about this actress is like because like without swearing i know she's saying what the fuck rick like you yeah. really fuck. like she just has this inflection in her voice where i'm like oh god like she's really yelling but on paper she's not yelling so bethany then goes in and because rick says to her like you are your own secret weapon so bethany then goes in and verbally abuses the principal and basically tells them like i'll send you back to where you came from if you don't tell that counselor to back the fuck down um so beth you know we see dan um danny takes the sats and um then um you know rick has to basically call around and talk to all of his different clients and tells all of them that he's being audited and the right now like the fbi i think is like in sync with him on this this is before that this is before that i love this scene the by one of my other favorite scenes is when she's so joyous the the blonde in the kitchen and then the cars slowly pull up slowly pull up he's outside getting ready to go golfing slowly pull up and he's like uh i have to go go. i gotta go and then all of a sudden fbi's hitting him with the hard questions. And I love, oh, talk about another MVP who's, we never learned the name of his lawyer, but I was all about that no-nonsense attorney, Rick. I love when a when a, when a a dumb man hires a, 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 a female attorney. Oh, me too, 100%. Because, like, you know, he's just convinced that the jury will see a woman and he'll be like, oh, save, because he's so forward thinking by having a, it's the Sarah Palin conundrum all over. Again. But she like, also, she knew that she knew her way around. Like she knew exactly what to say until she had nothing left to say. Um, but the FBI is already like tapping Rick's phone and he hears Bethany talking about how amazing it was when the college counselor had a breakdown apologizing for her mistake. And um, at this point, like, you know, this all means it's on the record because the FBI are listening. And then this is also when Bethany says that Taylor probably won't require the same help as Emma, basically saying that her younger daughter is smarter than Emma. Oh, I love um, that. That'll come back. Listen, honey, that's coming back to bite her in the ass. Oh, mm-hmm. so Danny looks at his score and he's like, oh, my God, I'm up 335 points. And his parents are like, no, 385. So, like, he can't even do, like, the math on it. And, like... <laughs> He's just so like swept away and he goes, you know what? I should take it again. If I already did that much better once, maybe I can take it again and just really blow the roof off. And his parents are like, oh, <laughs> no, you don't want to take it again. I think that's it. And so, yeah, he's like, so my embargo's lifted. Like, oh, great. I'm, um, I'm on my way to like go to the hotel cafe. So oh, yeah. basically like Caroline then calls Rick 
And she's like, oh, Danny was just walking on air. And she doesn't realize that the reason why he's walking on air is not because he did well in the SATs, but because he can go out and play his fucking guitar. His embargo's been lifted. Yes, the pun- the punishment he has suffered too long for is over. So, And it could um, not have been more than two and a half days. Right. So, yeah, no, 100%. So Rick is busted in the driveway. Then we go to the scene with the lawyer. Basically, they do have a clip of him um, discussing what is essentially racketeering, and he knows he's fucked. So right after that, we see him go back to work, and he has to continue on at work for the next couple months, it seems like, maybe even more, as if nothing happened. And he knows he's under active investigation by the FBI, they're tapping. He's basically agreed to like give in and give them everything. So he sits with the FBI and calls up every single one of his clients of ever and tells them that the IRS is auditing the charity. And every parent handles this different. And when, she, when he calls Bethany, she's like, no fucking shit, Rick. What do you think I am going to admit that I'm paying my daughter's way into college by forging an athletic career? And... <laughs> And having her SATs taken for her and writing off this, writing all of this off as a charitable donation. Are you fucking stupid? Like she basically like admits to not just the crime, but every nuance of the crime, like throughout. It's kind of incredible how Bethany just say less, Bethany, you know? Yeah. Hold back for once, Bethany. And then, um, you know, of course, Caroline, she gets this call and she's terrified right away. She, you know, she's scared. But during this time, during these calls, they also are able to confirm that both Emma got into Yale and Emma's in um, uh, Montecito with her boyfriend's family celebrating, uh, like, you know, just springtime. And then all of a sudden, woo, I'm in Yale. And then Caroline gets the same call about the IRS, and then she confirms that Danny is in at Stanford. Um, Danny's practicing his guitar when his parents come in, and so this is that clip. It's fifty-one fifty-nine to fifty-three seventeen. These days is California. Are you ready for this, Angel? Ready for what? We just got off the phone with Rick. You got in. You're going to Stanford. Oh, wh- wait, seriously? <laughs> yes. We're so proud of you. We're so incredibly proud of you. <laughs> oh, my God, you did it. <laughs> Look at you all lost in your phone. What are you hiding? What? Nothing. You can't bullshit someone who's known you since you were in diapers. Let me see it. Danny, why are you looking up images of Stanford? Because I got in. How did you hear? That guy that my parents hired, he has some inside line. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, big man on campus here just got into Stanford. What? You heard already? My god, Danny, that's amazing. Guys, guess he just got into Stanford. Okay, I already have put up on my Instagram like the shot. First of all, yes, homoerotic, and we'll get back to it. But I've already put up a like. There's like a slow mo second and a half of Penelope M. Miller like being congratulated by her parental peers at brunch yeah, yeah. when she has this news. I have never seen, like, literally since um, uh, Death of a Cheerleader when um, 
oh my God, what's her name? That amazing actress who played the mother had this reaction when she was reading her daughter's confession note. It was unbelievable the amount of faces she was able to make in 1.5 seconds of slow-mo, by the way. So like really a quarter of a second. I just, that whole scene, I mean, I just can't get over the, really the, the how they shoot that when he passes, first of all, no one passes their phone to anyone. They might put it in their face, but when he passes the phone, and I love the diaper slide. The, I know. I like sixing out. Like what teenage boys are t- saying diapers to each other? Like since since we were kids, we've known each other since we were in preschool. Like you don't say like we were wearing diapers together. Like, I mean, it just adds to my theory that there's something going on there. Also rolling up to him like, Oh, what are you doing on your phone? Like, oh, look at you all lost in your phone. I'm like, oh my God, girl, get, uh, he's not on Tinder. He's just looking at his text. Chill the fuck out, Rebecca. <laughs> that whole, and then the girl, I love the uncred, unnamed, I, I hope she's in the credits as unnamed blonde student body member in the credits. I it just, because she just got that one little brief moment and then everyone, congratulations. It was euphoric. Yeah, supportive blonde. That must have been her name. Can we just say, you know, my favorite is I love to watch the credits because I love my fantasy is to play like flight attendant number four in like an episode of the new Hawaii Five O, which just was canceled, but or something like that. Like I would love to just play a number, a number of something, you know, like waiter number two or oh, yeah. or male or you know bald mailman number three. You know, I just love that. That's my that's my. Well, that can also be a way of like putting an actor in their place where it's like you don't give them a name, you know, like if you give them a name, then they have some time to like think about it. Like, yeah, I I, I, know some people. You're bald mailman. That's it. There is no name. You're bald mailman. Crazy enough, the, the actress, she um, played Courtney in this movie. She also was in the remake of Death of a Cheerleader. Um, and she played Jade, who was um, uh, also like a small character. But Jade Falcon is the actress's name. And she also played Jade in um, in Death of a Cheerleader, I guess, remake. Um, oh interesting, because I just mentioned that a moment ago. But okay, so then we see Rick Singer. He's like practicing pleading guilty in front of the mirror. He's like, I'm guilty, Your Honor. I'm guilty, Your Honor. Like, guilty, guilty Your Honor. Like, it's very, um, I don't know what that's supposed to portray about him because all I see is just like a guy that's nervous. I don't really see like, oh, he's trying to practice human emotion or something but um then all of a sudden we see title cards miami greenwich connecticut new york houston la the fbi comes banging at their doors it's over for everyone anyone and who's it, thought, and i love that they're like no break no pop tarts for you babes it's before breakfast we're de- driving you off to court <clears throat> yeah it's like dawn like dude that is that's actually like terrifying and the way that Caroline and Jackson have like this reaction to it. Even though I've never committed a crime anywhere close to this level, I feel like the reaction they had is the reaction I would have, which is like, 
yeah, I knew this was coming. Like ever since, ever since I first started fucking around doing whatever, like I, I knew that this was coming. The FBI is coming for me. I've always felt that way. I've always felt like it's, it's in the FBI's hands. Like they can just come and get me whenever they want. Cause I know I've probably well, done something you, wrong. You know, honey, it's the same way I feel about the people who are part of a local militia that think that they could really stop, um, you know, the, the army or the government from attacking them. And I just want to say, honey, if they really wanted you, they would have you. And they don't. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's not a question of could this happen? It's yes, it could happen. And it could easily happen. But you are so insignificant, it never would. Do I think I'm too special? Oh, not you, honey. No, 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 no. I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> I feel that way about people who are like convinced that they would get murdered. Like, I'm just like, dude, do you know how fucking complicated it is to pull off a murder? Like, you really think someone's going to waste their murder on you? Like, unless you've like, yes, there's freak accidents. And of course, you don't want to be a statistic. But for the most part, let's be real. No one's going to fucking kill you unless you have like, you know, unless there's some sort of activity in your life that, you know, might lead to that. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I think and I think honestly, I mean, if we would have a psychologist on here with us, I think they would they would share that. I think most people just like I think it's an interesting two things. I loved how they showed the difference between Bethany, who, of course, is getting dressed. She has a nice Tory Burch belt. She's getting all perfect. And, you know, she's walking in, you know, walking in like Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct all in the interrogation. And then the other two are, you know, uh, panicking. And I just think it would be interesting because I think deep down when you make these choices, and this is from anything, you ultimately know you're probably going to get caught, but you do it anyway, maybe because you want, you know, there's all, there are all, those, all those fascinating arguments. Like most people who get caught want to get caught. You know what I mean? I, I agree. The way that Bethany was like calmly getting ready for this, by the way, like it's unbelievable. Like she's just like, honey, I'm going to go. I'm going to be somewhere today. And after school, I just have to, you know, I got, got to go talk to the police, but I'll be here right when you I'll get out of school. Right and it was almost as if she either got a head up and has been getting dressed for this since four o'clock in the morning, or she like went outside and politely negotiated with them that if she'll make it easier on all of them, if they let her like, you know, put her makeup on and put some deodorant on and, you know, get yeah, ready for her. Up a bit. And the, other two are just the other two are just dressed. And I will say this, I wish people would bring back elegant pajamas. If they're that rich, there should be some linen pajamas, not sweatpants and, you know, an oversized t-shirt. I agree with you. Like, dude, if I was making major money and I could get someone to like, I mean, dry clean only pajamas, I have to say, I'm ashamed oh. to own a couple pairs. But like, you truly, you truly don't realize like how out of, out of control your life is until you have a pair of dry clean only pajamas and you have to look at yourself whenever you want to clean them and you're like, yeah, I'm going to pay, um, Five dollars to wash my pajamas. The thing that I sweat and have nightmares in, I'm gonna pay to dry clean that. Oh, totally. Um, so wait, so the homoerotic love affair really builds up here when Danny's friend comes and confronts him about all of this. And I mean, points were made. We also have to remember Danny, you know, his biggest sin here is he's been like willfully ignorant, right? Like he didn't question that he somehow managed to beat his SAT score by like 385 points. He doesn't really question that Rick Singer is diagnosing him off the cuff with ADHD and now he's getting extra time. Mm -hmm. He 
really like Danny's just trying to fucking coast. And like, that's the part of it. I feel like is very Olivia Jade where I think that like, I think Olivia Jade was coasting if I'm being totally honest. And um, you asked earlier, like how much I blame the kids for all of this. And I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, I feel like they're minors. And even if they aren't minors, they're just like 18 years old. And I think, you know, honestly, if we're talking about getting into college, most of them probably started applying when they were 17. But, you know, I know how controlled I was, like, and how, honestly, my mom, like, spoke the word of God, like, when I was that age. Like, I did whatever she said. And it was for a variety of reasons. One, because she had told me everything to do right or wrong up until that point in my life. And two, because this was like a really adult, scary thing that I was about to do for the first time. And I went and I did all my college applications myself. My mom did nothing but write the checks in terms of like getting me write the checks for my um, applications when I was applying to colleges, um, which is something she like always gives me credit for, which is nice. But like when I was that age, if my mom said to me like, no, 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 don't, don't listen to that. This is how the world works. Like I would have probably believed that, especially if I was so spoiled on the world, like where I was like an Olivia Jade where, you know, like velvet ropes had been lifted for me my entire life. Like I didn't know what it wasn't like to not stand in the fast lane. Like she is used to having an experience that's above everyone else's experience. So in a weird way, why would she expect college to be different? So as much as like, I think these kids are, you know, somewhat responsible, I think they are the least responsible in this case. And I personally harbor 99.9% of my anger towards the parents. Wait, honey, do they have affluenza? <laughs> I wish. Do you um, remember? No, do you oh, remember? Of course, that? I remember affluenza. I'll that- never get over affluenza. Mm-hmm. I'll never get over that. And then I'll never get over when the mom hijacks the son and takes him to Mexico. And they got busted because they ordered a fucking Domino's pizza. <laughs> also, where is that Lifetime movie? I know, right? I mean, maybe there. I don't think there is one. But um, the affluenza. Oh, right. I, I feel a pitch to Quibi coming on. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine ten minute episodes about the affluenza? <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! I'm weeping. I just get ten minute chapters of the affluenza. I, I couldn't. I can't. Okay, so get ready for this opening to the to a gay porn right here. Hold on. Oh, that was erotic. You're joining our live coverage of this morning's breaking news. The FBI calling it Operation Varsity Blues, a nearly year long investigation. Hey, bro. Looks like you caught a good breeze there. What the hell did they do? So how long have you been lying to me? No, Tristan, I I swear. How about getting to second base with Nancy Hendler in the sixth grade? Was that bullshit too? And what about this manager that wants to sign you? Does he even exist? Okay, no, I have to call my parents. So, so, taking the test, the extra time you got, they paid that shrink to say you needed it. They didn't tell me. I didn't know anything until the second. Right, they did this whole thing. Fake SATs, fake sports, for months and months without you happening to notice. They just kind of slipped in a sailing championship onto your application when you weren't looking. Do you think I would do that? No, no, no. Look at me. Do you think I would do that? How much did your SATs go up the second time you took them? Trist. 
sin. How many points did they go up? It's 385. <laughs> you know, it's funny. A couple of weeks ago, you called me at 11 p.m. to tell me that Wendy Miller liked a comment on your comment about Vampire Weekend's California tour dates. But a 25% jump on your SATs in a year when all we talk about is getting into college. That wasn't worth the text. Look, I didn't tell you about that because... Because what? Because I know how badly you want to go. I, I just didn't want you to freak that the competition was gaining on you. Oh. Thank you for taking pity on me. Tristan... Tristan, I swear... I'm trying to think of an unmelodramatic way of walking out of here. But nothing's coming to me. These teens and their angst, dude! There is so much to unpack. But first of all, the the comment line, which we had already discussed, brought me to tears. It was so funny. And then I love the... What else have you been lying? Didn't I love that he had to like throw it at his face to his boyfriend that he wasn't a gold star gay that he had gotten to second base with Nancy Wilson and no, no, no. I mean, first of all, like I don't know what was the dead giveaway. Like a teenager named Nancy was that like one of the first parts where you realize that that might Nancy did they say it's Nancy right? Didn't he say her name's Nancy? Yeah. <laughs> and Nancy just, commented on his vampire weekend take or something like oh my god like seriously I mean I remember high school being pretty slow moving and lame and like I, I absolutely think I probably because I was a major dork I probably would have reported to my friend if like my crush had essentially like liked a Facebook post if that had existed when I was that age but I mean unbelievable to think that these two teenage boys were like oh my god Nancy liked my vampire weekend thing like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, energy they, the, the best the passion that radiates between this two these two was I know. Just, it was they they I mean it was just powerful it was very powerful I have to say, I'm like, I'm borderline uh, afraid to keep discussing it because I'm afraid that I'll come off like homophobic because for me, this is happening. Like I and I and I don't mean to project that on these two young men. Maybe they just have a type of closeness that I can't wrap my head around. But that's so true. And I will say this, and we've talked about this in our personal lives, is that honestly, I the the, some of the closest friendships I've ever seen are between straight men and they it is not homoerotic at all it is literally that I think it's because I think so often men are not allowed to show weakness to like within society so they end up becoming very close to other men in kind of closed off ways where they never you know it's so interesting but yes you're right we shouldn't homoeroticize it but they're gay yeah, yeah, but like also true story, like any like straight guys you hang out with long enough, like they do admit like the dicks came out at a sleepover for like a size comparison or something that, you know, we like tend to go pretty ham and in, in female culture as well or change in front of your gay friends, whatever it may be. But like it was um, it was on another one. It um, was on another one. And I, again, I think however it was written was written with, you know, I always love to go back to if you there's 
a great book that you should read. Now I can't remember the damn name, so it must not be that great. But it shows how you know so many villains in the nineteen after the Hayes Code in the nineteen thirties, forties, and fifties were written with the subtext of them being gay, and gay that was panic. Like, and like that's fascinating to me how just how the the subtones of things are written, and whatever whoever wrote this wrote them as gay. They may not be in the story or they, they weren't playing it, but they were written that way. I hope so. Here's hoping. Nancy. Nancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nancy. Come on. I've never heard anything more fake in my life. So then we see Emma's boyfriend's parents come into um, the room that she's staying in in Montauk and basically like, you have to go home from vacation. Um, Your mom is going through some stuff. And, you know, it seems like they're sort of writing it off as like, you need to go be there for your mom. But they also seem like genuinely disgusted in her. Yeah. And, and then the son comes in and really late when she gives him the hug and he doesn't hug her back. Yeah, it's rough because he like, you know, he presumably earned his way into Yale the honest way, unless they have a secret of their own and that they're Hopefully. keeping. I mean, they're home. rich, too, but I loved and the only other the I loved the when he was on the phone with his friend about moving in with Brianna. And I can't even remember the other girl, but of course it was a Brianna and they were going to have like the most righteous pad off of campus. I thought, OK, listen, who- no, it was it was Megan and Priyanka, which and I thought Megan. was such an interesting choice of name because it's like Meghan Markle and Priyanka Jonas like whose minds don't go straight there <laughs> but I, I don't just even remember what her last name was before Jonas oh uh, Chopra oh right 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 duh but yeah, um, but I, love that, I love that they called her a car and she gets in the car and she's just she's torn up Meanwhile, Bethany is getting arraigned. Um, let's listen to that. It's one hour and 45 seconds to one hour, one minute and 43 seconds. I'm setting bond at $500,000, which I take it is not a hardship for the defendant. It is not, Your Honor. She surrendered her passports? She has. Arraignment will be in federal court in Boston, Massachusetts on a date to be set. Government transport is available should you choose to avail yourself of it. Will you confirm that you will attend? Actually, it would be really great to know what that exact date is right now. Because I have a whole crazy series of client meetings in Texas and Colorado that I can't move. And also in St. Louis the week after what i'm not saying that i'm not going to be there i'm just trying to your honor my client confirms that she will be at the arraignment of course i confirm i'll be there i just think it's really fair to see if there's any flexibility with these dates there is not i'm sure there is with this amount of lead time yeah your honor we will be there i mean unreal the when she says fair that was breathtaking. Fair. Breathtaking. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, it's like, I feel like this is Lori Laughlin, but also at the same time, like, you know, they did a good job of splitting up, like, elements of the main players that we know. Um, like, yeah, I'm but- getting a lot of Felicity Huffman from Caroline. I'm also getting notes of Lori Laughlin with the, you know, not wanting your kid to be an influencer thing. And then I'm just getting, like, straight up, like, you know, think she's better than everyone's snake from Bethany. Yeah, completely. But do you feel like Lori Lachlan thinks she's straight up better than everyone? I don't get that vibe from a Lori. I mean, she's on a Hallmark show. 
The only reason why I think that to be true is honestly, I mean, maybe your husband is largely influential in this, which like wouldn't be totally shocking. Like he is sort of a hardcore Trumper and, you know, has all of that going on. Um, But I think that they have demonstrated that they think they're better than everyone else because they are so dead set on figuring out a way out of this. And I did hear recently that there was some development in that that like maybe shines favorably on them not enough to get them off but there was an enough that came up that like maybe rick singer hid some aspects from it that were um you know really um it was really important for that to be in place for Lori laughlin and her husband in order for there to be a um like the most significant charges to go through so i did think that they recently sort of found a loophole um, but it's, it's nothing. But, but you know the issue, and I think this is where you like your, I'm sorry, not, again, I shouldn't interrupt, but what it's, I think that's the issue that people get so angry is that the whole idea of a court system is that, yeah, if you have enough money and time, you can figure out any loophole, you know? And I think that's where, where people have gotten so angry is that, you know, it's just like with, yeah, if you have enough money and time, you can, you can get your kid to focus enough to get X the score or whatnot, or you can figure a way out of the the crimes you've committed because yeah, money and time will buy you anything. And most people I mean, don't that's an excellent, that's an excellent, excellent point that I don't think enough people have considered. And I didn't even really process that until you just said it, which is that these people have insane resources to basically, you know, not make this go away. But, you know, the real action happened about a year ago and in another year when, you know, these proceedings are back up and running and everything, I don't think people will care as much. And so people, you know, there'll be less public outrage. I do think that they'll still be held to, you know, a great deal of accountability will be like, you know, enforced on them. But like, I also I, I do think that they are buying their time with this legally and it's very smart of them. I, I mean, can it and they can afford it. And that's what's so upsetting is that about the legal system is that, yes, if you can afford to have X amount of, tri- I mean, and you can keep fighting the system, you keep fighting the system, sure you can win. And and win by this is mean, I mean, I do think they'll serve a, like a felicity. They'll definitely serve some sort of time, but I don't think it'll be near to what the charges what the charges could bring the time, you know? And I think that's the difference is time will know, tell whether or not they fucked themselves on that. Like, I think, I think they're, I mean, it'll be interesting too, to see, like you said, I mean, we're in such a different place just from a year ago when this broke, you know, because so much else has happened where who's really, will anyone even really care? And I think that happens a lot too, where, you know, justice isn't served because it's just not a hot, case and it's not driving ratings and who gives a shit you know who cares if if someone who on the hallmark channel and i don't know it's just i will will say i do consider it taking an owl to like go ahead and go through with these court proceedings and spend probably millions and millions of dollars i mean they sold their their house in um bel-air which was like, you know, a $10 million property or something like that. I think they sold that house possibly, you know, not necessarily because of this. They are worth a shit ton of money. Like Massimo Giannulli is worth a lot of money. I had no idea. I mean, first of all, Lori Lock, I will say this for Lori Lockwood. She looks amazing. And, but as I always say, when people will say this about Jennifer Lopez, they're like, oh, Jennifer Lopez looks amazing. I'm like, yeah, she has $600 million. She better look amazing. You know, like, why would right, right. I feel the same way with Lori Lachlan is I had no idea that she had that kind of cash. Good for her. 
Yeah, I mean, well, if you just think about like her net worth alone with like her full house reruns, I mean, that is money that will carry you through life. And then when you think about also, you know, she's always had that good girl rep. So she's well, done have, some major films. She's done the Hallmark you. circuit. You'll know, you'll know better than I. How many? I'm sure. I mean, those they don't they cost a lot to make. How much? You know, she was doing all those. She had two or three different TV movies and series on Hallmark. How much do you think she got paid for that? Um, I'm sure she was a higher ticket person. I mean, I don't think it was like a million a film or something. I mean, it could have been I'm probably sure it's at least a hundred eight yeah, to two hundred. Which if and those cannot take more than what four weeks to shoot. So and she does three or four a year. That's and a good. She chapter. also had like series. So like she did like garage sale mysteries, which like yeah. by the way, like just the title alone. I'm like, why wasn't I up on that? But. Like she will do like a series. And so for a series of short movies, like, you know, that are basically like, um, you know, a limited run, they're like three a year, but, and they can continue that on into forever or they can just end it at that. But like a contract like that probably nets, you know, 1.5 or whatever. Plus she was seeing the resurgence of Fuller House. Plus, you know, just the reruns alone for a show like Full House had to have been crazy, especially like what, you know, with what the twins were making towards the end of the show, they set record-breaking um, numbers for what people can make in a sitcom. And while the adults, like, you know, their salaries did not match the twins, they definitely, I mean, the adults definitely probably leveraged how much the twins were making, oh, totally. you know. Um, but I was going to say, like, you know, what's the point of spending you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars to just wind up exactly where you would have if you had pulled a Felicity Huffman and like politely backed out. Here's the thing. I, I honestly, I mean, and this is just me thinking, but I really think what Felicity, what Felicity Huffman did and what What's Her Face did are very, or Lori Loughlin seem very different. I think they're both illegal and whatnot, but it's very different to me to falsify photos that you clear, you know what I mean? And whatever she did or did not do, like that is such complicity and illegal behavior compared to, I mean, I can see where Felicity Huffman donated 15K and said, hey, maybe you give a little nudge here or there, you know? Compared no, to, she paid $150 or $150,000 for her daughter's SAT. What, what did it, forged? it was 500000 total they spent on for the, the two, two girls. Don, yeah, in the Giannulli family, they spent... Uh, $500,000 total for the two girls. And then I think Felicity Huffman might have spent like 200000 to have her daughter's SATs retaken for her. Oh, was and- it that? I see. I thought it was a much smaller amount that Felicity Huffman did. But I No, I it was like a lot. And also like, I mean, it was too, it was almost like too much money for just that part of the service, considering everyone else got this like insane like valet service. But of course, you know, they knew they were getting repeat business with the Giannulli girls. So there's that. And this is also a Sunday, but you think Felicity Huffman will bounce back, right? Because she's a fantastic actress. I think so. Yeah, I think that, you know, this is the thing is like they, they do mention here, like, you know, people can move on from this stuff. Like Martha Stewart, they move on. That's what, um, just to skip ahead, that's what like, you know, first of all, all their jobs are ruined. But then let's skip ahead and to when Caroline's talking to her lawyer and they're like you're you're younger than you think you are like yes like jackson you will lose your spot like you will be disbarred and lose your legal license and you know yes caroline like this will destroy your career but you're young enough that you can still have a turnaround and people 
move on and they forget like they did with Martha Stewart. And I just think like that's it's people bring up Martha a lot and don't realize that she is like a one off. Like you have to really have everything going in all the right places for you to be a Martha Stewart because Martha like what we love about Martha is that she's kind of bad. What we love about Martha is like she's got a little bit of like a wild streak. Like she hosts the show oh, with totally. fucking Snoop Dogg now. And by the way, she doesn't even have to do that. What Martha did, and this, I mean, this goes back, I have such a, I mean, this is just, we could have a whole discussion on how women have to pay for their, I'm not going to even go into that, except that what she did and how so many people, oh, which even in this effing pandemic, when, you know, all the senators, which yeah. now cares about, sold up, they go in a meeting in January, they hear about it, they start selling off stock, and then now, now nothing has come of it. But they need to make an example of Martha Stewart. I'm not saying what she did, I mean... I just, I think it was so insane how they were determined to make an example of her. And then you're so right. I mean, that it really enhanced her brand because the thing about Martha was she always had an edge and you could always like, she was never, she was perfect, but she never was like a, like a Paula Dean fake, you know, where you'd be shocked if she did something bad. Cause Martha has always had an edge and really the prison thing just kind of increased that edge. But most people don't have that underlying edge and are little miss homemaker too. I mean, I'll say, I think that Paula Dean has had a hard time coming back from saying the N-word. And Martha has had a much more successful and fruitful career after going to prison for insider trading. And, you know, arguably, um, insider trading is, is a significantly bigger crime. Um, than saying the N word, uh, at a, at, although that is an awful fucking thing to do. Um, Paula Dean is not going to recover. It just goes to show that like, unless you have that certain charm, like you can't really make that work for you. Like no, no, you really works for very few people. Well, and what I will also say is what I didn't like about this scene with the husband is it kind of, this is where I think they were really leaning into the William H. Macy, Felicity Huffman thing, because I did think it was, you're, I'm sure William H. Macy knew just as much, I'd hope, what was going on as the wife, but it was the wife's prop. I mean, he wasn't even charged. He was smarter I, on the phone. He wait. he was smarter because like he was he there is a recorded phone conversation with him, but like he was smarter with the way that he handled it. He never like, you know, he never implicated himself the way that Felicity did. And part of me wonders if it was them going easy on him because it was just like almost too preposterous or if they really wanted to show that there was lines in the sand about bad behavior and like what qualified as bad behavior and what was technically mm. something that they could get off on. Um, because, you know, I think that the conversation that um, William H. Macy had was more sort of about it, it, it did. It struck me immediately as sexist and weird and wrong. And I never really understood exactly why, except for when I read the transcripts. It seemed like William H. Macy kept a pretty tight game when he was having these convos, almost as if he knew it was too good to be true. Well, and I just, the other thing, I hated the scene because the dad was just as much... They, throughout the whole movie, they make the dad is just as culpable. And then all of a sudden they switch like the dad is blaming the mom. And I hated that because he was just as much involved the entire film. And all of a sudden he goes, you wanted this more than I did. And it's like, no, no, uh, no, Jan. Yeah, no, he she's like you. He's like, please, like, come on, pussy boy. You're the one who freaked the fuck out. <laughs> and it's really funny, like, because like when 
Jackson goes back to work at the law firm after all of this, it's without knowing anything about his childhood, the way that like all of his coworkers were watching laughing. the news and like laughing, like the way that the image sort of got distorted. We, I could see like Jackson having a flashback to being teased or bullied in his childhood without ever them mentioning that that had happened to him or anything like the implications of what happened to Jackson in his childhood were right there. It was kind of oh, amazing. Totally. Like, and it all sort of adds up. Like, yeah, you were bullied as a kid. Like, you got into Stanford. It changed your life. So you assume that the key to the universe is Stanford because that was, like, the first time you stood on your own two feet. And, like, you met a girl named Caroline and blah, blah, blah. Um, One thing about the parents, too, and I don't know if you built – I always love to kind of think of the backstory. And I really have the feeling, like, Caroline earned her spot at Stanford and the dad paid his way in. And I mean, they don't even go into that, but that's just... I think the dad was also legacy, and Caroline was just a smart, like, promising young woman. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's just an... Which, speaking of, I cannot wait to see Promising Young Woman starring Carrie Mulligan. Have you watched the trailer for that? No, I didn't even know there was a movie called that. That's so funny. You are going to love it. Oh my God, honey, the minute we're done with this, watch the trailer. I think it's called Promising Young Woman. It's with Carrie Mulligan where she goes, she murders rapists. And it's just, it looks. Oh, I love that. Oh, God. And I always think Carrie Mulligan's kind of a wet British blanket, but she looks really great in this movie. And I'm just so excited for it. Oh, I'm th- I'm actually thrilled to watch that. I feel like yeah. I'm, I'm already, I've been hoarding my last couple SVUs of the season because, you know, me, I need that good cathartic, you know, NBC is doing something nice for Dick Wolf and renewing all of his shows for like three seasons at a time. But I do love that it's going to keep Marishka Hargate in satin pajamas. That makes oh. me happy. I talk about it all the time. Like, if I was Mariska Hargitay, because, like, there's a reason why she doesn't do, like, interviews and stuff like that. Like, she basically was the goose that laid the golden egg over there. And, like, she will be on TV for 40 years. If they can get 40 seasons out of her, she will do it. Like, why not? She makes at, she makes at least five hundred thousand an episode. They must have that showdown to a science at this point. Where oh, yeah. I, mean, I would guess she makes a million an episode, which I know is wild, but like for like you know someone whose salary isn't reported. Um, but maybe you can Google that actually while we play out this but next. I, love, but I also love that she got. You know what I love, and, and, and not to di- digress, but I love that that show started. It kind of built some buzz. Then she had like eight. You know, she was nominated eight times for an Emmy. She won. She got that Golden Globe. Um, which dear Penelope Miller was robbed to, which I just want to say, <laughs> you know, she lost the Golden Globe to in 93. Hello. And I had no idea what Nona Ryder for the Age of Innocence. Ooh, not a bad and, one to lose to. I always forget that Winona has a Golden Globe. I always thought yeah. it was just a nomination for mermaids, but no. Winona's so very weird. special, honey. She's very honey, special. Very, but um, I love No that. wonder she was sent the first script for Shakespeare in Love, and Gwyneth Paltrow stole that okay. shit. Like I the don't fucking care. crook she is. First of all, I know she denies that, but that story is definitely 100% true. 
It's too, honestly, it's too good to not be true. And it's also too widely rumored to not be true. It's just, and also, can't you see her literally coming over with like a bottle of champagne to, to talk about how someone effed over Winona and then she literally sees the script and just leaves with the bottle of champagne and the script. And like Winona's in the bathroom and like, hey, I'll be right back. I just have to change. And then she sees it. I was it picturing and- the same thing. She's putting bobby pins in and Gwyneth slips the thing right into her purse and like and- never mentions it again. It never speaks to her again, ever. Um, okay, so I pulled this scene because the speech that Taylor gives her mom and then and then her mom talks to Esmeralda, like, and literally... Then the, oh, wait, and then... Okay, we'll talk about it after the scene, but yes, do but it. Like, I want to know, like, just going into it, like, try and map it in your head for me because I couldn't understand, like, what is this monologue that Taylor says to her mom and what are we supposed to take from this other than, like... Maybe they're having her communicate. I don't know why they're having her communicate like this, but it doesn't sell me on her being smart. It sells me on like something I'm uncomfortable about with Taylor. Um, let's play this clip. one twelve twenty seven to one thirteen eighteen. Includes CEOs of major corporations. I'm sorry, we're so lame, Miss Bethany. Congratulations on screwing every pooch in the kennel. I don't need any grief from you. I'm the one giving grief. You should have seen what it was like at school today. Half the people were looking at me like I had a skunk on my head, and the other half gave me these stupid, concerned, moony faces, asking if I was okay. It was more than I could take. Come here, Angel. Let me give you a hug. I don't want a hug right now. Wouldn't you do anything in the world? For Josecito and Shayla. Anything. I'll go put laundry in. Unreal. Wait, so screw the pooch, skunk on my head, moony faces. Gr- I'm not giving you grief. Like, w- this entire movie was actually written with a somewhat, I have to say, like, youthful like a uh, slant to it like for the most part this movie was written like it was you know thoughtful of teenagers and the world we live in a Nancy call out there's a few little bits but yeah it really was and i love the end crash callback to sandra bullock when remember when sandra bullock's only friend in crash is her maid and i love that they just threw that in at the end where she has a moment with esmeralda and esmeralda's like listen lady all i want to do is get away from you so i'm gonna walk out i'm gonna clean exit yeah, I mean, truly, honestly, that's me and Martha at the very end of it all for me. Um, oh, how is she doing? Martha's amazing. She's great. I love her. I mean, she's just Good. like, you know, so special to me. Um, but the last movie that was written by the guy who wrote this movie is named Stephen Tolkien. He wrote the Conrad and Michelle, if words could kill movie about um, Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy, the um, teenagers in Massachusetts where she was um, she was oh, convicted was she of manslaughter. Yeah, allegedly. Um, I don't know. I have complicated. Well, yeah. I mean, have you seen the documentary "I Love You Now Die"? No. Should I watch Uh, it? So, Erin Lee Carr did that, and she's like, um, her father was like a a mentor to me, essentially, and so she was very kind when I reached out to her. I saw that she did a documentary about this situation because I was always very um, enraptured by the situation because I, you know, I'm of 
you know, the opinion that there was a lot more going on there and that, you know, I just had this feeling I never it never sat well with me that they were putting this girl on trial for pushing her boyfriend to to kill himself. And so she did what I had always wished they did with the Amanda Knox Netflix documentary where she told both sides of the story, one side from Conrad's side, the prosecution and one from the defense. And I suggest you watch both of them, but the second episode where they sort of explain the defense of Michelle Carter, I really, I honestly think that she was going through something unbelievable during that time. I think she was dealing with medication poisoning. Max, there's a whole arc about the show Glee and like how she became like basically convinced that she could live out Leah Michelle's story arc on that show. Um, and it all sort of changed the week that she switched her medication to Prozac, I think it was. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, that's so bad because, I mean, I'm not taking anything from a loss, but that, I mean, Leah Michelle still does enter. And again, it is a big thing, but I mean, that was a whole arc, not only on the show in her life. And I can see where people would take that. To an ex, like you totally understand that. I that I'll have to watch that, especially in the mind of like a very depressed, you know, t- an angsty teenager and who's dealing with also a very depressed and and I would say on on honestly, like I feel like Conrad was a little bit manipulative towards her, and like that's like where it just it got it became two teenagers, two sick teenagers with no adults in the room, and yeah. like at that point, it's almost like you know, putting two 12-year-olds together to kind of like co-babysit each other and then holding one accountable for one dying. It's like, no, like there needed to be adult intervention in this. And like they ultimately were teenagers who were both dealing with mental health issues and there was like no one mediating. Um, But I don't want to say too much more. I just, I I mentioned even that my friend made the documentary because I was lucky enough to get it like I probably like six months or something before it came out. And so I've been talking about this movie for like a year and a half now. Like I'm obsessed with it. Two years. Okay, maybe I want to watch that. And then just quickly before we finish, can I just ask, did Amanda, what do we, did Amanda Knox do it? Um, you know, I don't think she did. I think That's she's weird. I think that Amanda Knox's biggest problem is that she's weird. And I yeah. think the true nerd And I think that, you know, her behavior is odd, but in the context of who Amanda Knox is as a person, her behavior is not that odd. I think that's right. And I think, like you said, or with how it's portrayed is one thing compared to how it actually is and how it was portrayed was portrayed very, very odd. And then, but you said, if that's just who she is as a person, then you look at it in a whole new context. But at the same time, like I have Italian friends. And when I met them in Japan, I was like, literally like, so do you think she did it? And they were like, oh yeah, no question. She fucking killed him. And I was like, or she killed her. And I was like, for real? And they were like, yes, how do you not know? And I was like, well, I was like, don't you like, I, you know, there's a whole thing where it's like, it really does tell you like your press that you get locally is your view of the world. And like that yeah. is what's so dangerous about what's going on in the news in our country right now is because like 
for all like, you know, there are narratives that are being spun that are forming the opinions of nations and yeah. about anything from like uh, silly, like the silly little Amanda Knox, Meredith Kircher situation, not to call it silly, but in the big picture of the world, it's like, you know, for for the amount of space and time it took up, it's actually like, you know, it's unfortunate that so much drama was put on the murder of this young woman when for us, it's pretty clear that Amanda Knox didn't do it. But yes, have I tap danced down that line of like thinking that she for sure had some hand in it and maybe it was a trip gone wrong and maybe it yeah. was this or maybe it was a that. I mean, if I had to if I had to really say, I think that she and her boyfriend were fucking nerds. They got stoned. They drank at his place like she was just excited to be having like adult sexual relationships out of the country and to have met someone like a fairy tale. I don't think that she would have been seeking out like drugs and 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 group sex if i'm being honest with you no it seems very far-fetched to go from what you know a first love in an italian village to dangerous sex games with someone that they pick up off the you know what i mean that just does not seem like where the heads would plus they had rudy gaudet in jail they've they've and they keep lowering his sentence and it's like very obvious that he's the one who committed the crime so it's like you have the guy. What, like, why do you need to, like, why do you need to keep putting it onto Amanda Knox? Like, all the evidence lines up and basically proves that this guy, as close as you can get to proof in a case like this, it basically proves that he did it. And I don't know. I just don't think Amanda Knox, like, really, it's not that it do- she doesn't have it in her. In fact, I think that's what makes people so skeptical of hers because she does have this odd sort of strength and, um, unflappability that's not recognizable for a lot of people. A lot of people see that and they're just like weirded out by it. And I think yeah. that that was like her sort of um, biggest gift and curse and, and gift in the sense that she was able to survive everything that happened to her when she was in jail. And also, um, you know, all that time and keeping the faith, but then, um, you know, more than that, continuing on into her activism here in the States and, it does seem like she's really happy with her, I think, her now husband. And we have to say nothing but props and thanks to Amanda Knox. I actually, that's another movie that I might do during these mini episodes because um, the movie is like not as interesting as the case. Although Hayden Panettiere, probably the last great role she did, possibly even the very last role she did. I, I can't Honey, gold, Two-time Golden Globe nominee Hayden Panettiere. What is up with you and the Golden Globes today, honey? Okay, so let me just say this. I have been, I'm, you know that I, I think awards are so silly, but I love the idea of the Golden Globes just because they, mainly because that scene in First Wives Club where they, Goldie Hawn chucks one at Bette Midler or vice uh-huh. versa. I can't remember who chucks what, but the Golden Globe is thrown around. And I've never gotten over in 96 when I heard that line. This is a Golden Globe. It's sacred. It's trademarked. And then they just, Goldie Hawn just throws it. But I'm really all about now, whenever anybody says anything, like I always introduce Jennifer Love Hewitt as Golden Globe nominee Jennifer Love Hewitt, who was nominated for a life, the last Lifetime movie nominated for a miniseries actress was Jennifer Love Hewitt for The Client List. The Client List was bomb, dude. The Client List, I wish I could go back to the simple days of not having seen The Client List because everything's also, ruined you know now. You know, I'm gonna, you know who, Loretta Devine, clearly, but the real secret weapon of Client List was Sybil Shepherd. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, there's just so much good shit. And also Laura Lee from Vanderpump Rules. But oh, do you yeah. know why I love the Golden Globes, Max? Tell me. Because we went together. <gasps> Honey, that was, that is, st- first of all, that is one of the, and we have shared some very intoxicated evenings, but that is the, one of the drunkest nights I've ever been in my entire life. Oh my God. Night. If and we haven't was- posted that clip of me drunk getting, getting uh, a car um <laughs> posted that picture of me, or that video of me so many times i swear to god i would repost it I, maybe i'll just do it for the hell of it on the mother I, 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 but we were so I, drunk honey wasn't it a, was it a hyundai or a it was it was it whatever was like a hyundai that like it was like you know but it was a, red yes and it was like a you know they just parked it out front for like press or whatever but like you were like going you get a car you get a car you get a car and i and I, 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 every time we do a podcast this comes up but i just love that we i we ran into bryce dallas howard who we don't know and before i could say anything it was just you know what i'm so glad you have that hot husband people just flock to you like you can kind of get away with saying anything like you just have that spirit where it's like people meet you and they just want to like hear it all baby um but yeah but anyway but i just i just i'm so glad penelope ann miller she has that and it's carlito's way i'm sorry she was nominated in 93 carlito's way which my mom loved carlito's way did she really yeah i like mainly know about it like those are like you know you have a like section of pop culture that you just know about from your mom like waxing poetic about it and like you okay. can't really say like lonesome dove is another one that my mom just like fucking loves lonesome dove and like I mean, I, i'm gonna have we should do a podcast with your mom about that because i love angelica houston and lonesome dove as well as miss diane lane Honey, you should just have a podcast where you like do this like pop culture thing you do. And like, well, we've talked about it a little bit before. I'm going to cut, cut it off before we say too much. But I, I, you are built for like just talking about golden age of Hollywood by golden age. I mean, every age of Hollywood. Um, but okay. So wait. So the movie wraps up with, um, this song that they found on the flash drive in Danny's room. His parents, we just sort of see that his parents are really in their feelings about botching this for him because he's really talented. Um, and then over the song, which I'll play to sort of play us out, it says, to date, over 50 people, including 35 parents and 10 college coaches, have been indicted as a result of the FBI investigation Operation Varsity Blues. Rick Singer pleaded guilty to four felonies. Six of his co-conspirators were among those indicted. Approximately $25 million in bribes were paid. Universities are investigating students from from families involved in the scandal. This has already resulted in expulsions. Implicated coaches from Georgetown, Stanford, UCLA, University of Texas, USC, and Wake Forest have all been fired or resigned from their schools. Coach Coach Rudy Meredith resigned from Yale before the news of the scam became public. Um, okay, so I'm going to play us uh, some a little bit of just a clip of Danny's music, please. Just walk out oh, lay me down A slow drought You always knew this time would come Close our eyes and try your best to run 
Poor boy, so talented, had his career ripped from him. Because I mean, this is I I assume they're the song version of Olivia Jade's uh vlogs. Oh, honey, completely. And you know what I want to know is did he do his own singing, the actor? I'm I was wondering the exact same thing. Um I do not know as of now. Hopefully that's something that I can find out beforehand. Can I read you a couple of reviews from IMDb? Um, I will just say that, you know, overall, I think this movie is a great watch, especially during quarantine. I'm glad that we didn't do a whole episode on it. So I feel good about sort of placing this on an off season mini episode. Um, it was good. It was it was really good. It was very watchable. It was it was also very good considering that I feel like they rushed the movie and like they were a little too horny to get it out there, um, which is always a turnoff for me. Um, but OK, so this is from Ed Sullivan. It was written on October 19th. 2019, way before we knew about the coronavirus coming to the U.S. He writes, these privileged children all knew their parents cheated and paid for their way into elite universities. The acting in this made-for-television film, which is based on a true criminal cases that are still before the courts when this film was released in October 2019, proves that these professional actors can't hold an Oscar to the real actors who happen to be a long list of affluent parents who disregarded all ethics and used their gluttonous wealth to push their children ahead of many hardworking and more deserving students who were subsequently rejected. The FBI eventually arrested a number of these affluent parents for mail fraud, honest mail services fraud, and racketeering. Actor Michael Shanks, who played the real-life school fixer Rick Singer, folded like a wet napkin when he was arrested through a series of FBI wiretap phone conversations implicated in these filthy, rich, and snobbish parents who felt like there was nothing wrong in the dirty manner that they scammed these Ivy League universities to illegally push their children onto the front line. My only question... Is this the first film in a brand new film genre called privilege, uh, PPS, Privileged Parent Scammers, since those arrested for this horrendous crime of the filthy rich and affluent are only the tip of the iceberg? Suicides are sure to follow, which is one of the negative reactions to being caught and identified and for, uh, forever on as a criminal. Please don't let any of these PPS people's crimes get expunged off, uh, expunged as a one-off. First of all, everyone's a critic. I mean, the power. The words. I mean, listen, if that was a sermon in a mid-level church, I would be in in tears and I'd be donating cash. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing, though. It's like it's like he it's like all you have to do is like write like a review, man. Like he really like this. This meant something to Ed Sullivan, like for real. Oh, no, it's Ed Sullivan. It really spoke to him. In a way, it did not speak to me. But yes, I, I think 
Yeah. Is there another one? Yeah, I'll read you another one. I'm just looking at Ed Sullivan's other. Okay, so this one says passing grade, but like a C passing. Eight out of ten, but eight out of ten stars. This movie found a nice little balance of creating horrible, unlikable characters based on real people, but not Lori Laughlin, Felicity Huffman, or anyone dead or alive for legal reasons, while still having the characters be the ones you love to hate. I added an extra star for Emma's hunky boyfriend, Brian. (gasps) Amen. Support. Support. So this was the 10 out of 10. Very well written and acted and directed. This is by PhD Travel. Very well written and acted and directed. Lifetime has done a good job at showing the scandal from the point of view of the parents and the children. Managed to incorporate in a a composite manner the details and aspects that we know from the headlines. It's nice to go beyond the headlines and go into their homes to see the detailed genesis of the crime from the good intentions and love of their kids to over the line. Felicity and Lori aren't portrayed as characters, but we know who's based on who, roughly. Really found Penelope Ann Miller sympathetic as the anxious mom faking her unknowing son's scores and sports sports records for a place in Stanford. Mira Kir- Mia Kirchner is a great different kind of mom, pushier and less repentant. Really hams up in this juicy role. There are some pretty funny moments along the way, but things get serious when we get to see the fallout on the kids who have to fake the consequences of exposure. Most moving aftermath I've seen in a Lifetime movie in a while. Highly recommended. Oh, good for them. Yeah, good for PhD underscore travel. Wait, what was the boyfriend's name? Brian, is it? Brian. Oh, Brian. Sebastian Greaves. And honey, he's got it it in for the Hallmark Christmas movies. He's set for life. He is set for life. Well, I know you love awards, so I will mention that this movie was nominated for a Canadian Cinema Editor's Award for Best Editing in a Television Movie or Miniseries. I also have something to say. I forgot that Penelope Ann Miller, in addition to being Golden Globe nominated, is SAG Award nominated for her part in The Artist. Oh, well, we gotta love that. I just, I love, I, my, uh, she deserves all. Listen, we have to call out and give Penelope Ann Miller all that she can have. Yeah, I would say while we aren't doing our scale on these many episodes, I will say that we will give this movie five out of five Penelope Ann Millers. Okay, thank at least, and we would give the Golden Globe that Winona Ryder won to her for this movie, though. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Go snatch it from Winona's shelf, Penelope Ann Miller. You have our full approval. Honey, call Gwyneth Paltrow. She'll snatch it and she'll break in like the big Exactly. I'm sure they have an in. I wonder. (laughs) I'm sure if we spend enough time digging on IMDb, we can figure out who knows who and and we can get it in there. But okay, so we're going to wrap this up, my love. I love you so much. Um, I love you so much. Before I let you go, I know other people are going to wonder, what are you eating for dinner? Oh, honey, I've been, I'm sorry. If, I hope they can get rid of my chewing, but I was, I will, my father is literally like an amazing cook. And I mean, not no, I only want to know because he brought it to you on a tray. I couldn't hear you chewing. Oh, on a tray. Thank God. On a tray. Honey, it was Caesar salad with spaghetti and meatballs and homemade breadsticks. Oh, that's like, that is classic dinner. And more than that, that's like a good, like good classic dad dinner. Like it's like not just a dad dinner, but it's like if dad knows how to cook, that's what he's cooking. Oh, and dad knows how to cook. And that's so it was just a feast. So I just appreciate you guys letting me crunch along with, you know, the luminaries of the college. No, thank you for being here with me. I know that you are on central time and um, we'll wrap this up and I'll just text you probably in like 10 minutes, but thank you. 
and honey, can I just can we just can I do a quick shout out to someone just because I'm gonna go upstairs and watch the movie starring this person? Of course. Okay, if you need a pick me up during this during the end times, I suggest watching any movie Goldie Hawn has ever done. My mother and I are have, are halfway through all of her films, and tonight we're watching House Sitter. Okay, I'll make sure that we link Goldie Hawn in the description of this episode, and uh, as well as your social medias. <laughs> and promise, promise you introduce it as as Golden Globe nominee Penelope Ann Miller. Just walk It's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand-friendly, but don't worry. I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.